What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's up, everyone? We hope you had a great holiday with your family and friends, and the Top Rope Nation crew is here with a very special Christmas present, especially for you. You hear us talk about Top Rope Nation classics all the time on the show, but if you're not familiar, it is our monthly bonus podcast we have been doing for a couple of years exclusively for Patreon supporters. It's the reason most people sign up for our Patreon page, and quite frankly, it really is some of our best work. For the holidays this year, we are giving you one of our previously released editions of Top Rope Nation Classics in full here on our main feed, free of charge, for the very first time. Here for a highly, highly anticipated edition of Top Rope Nation Classics, it is the 26th Top Rope Nation Classics in this show's history. I'm Ryan Drosty, joined by Justin Joint, Kyle Ross. Been anticipating this one, not even for weeks, more like years. The WWF 1992 Royal Rumble look back. Uh, We're just past the 30th anniversary of this show. And boys, I mean, I think... Right away, I can say right from the top that uh, one thing I'm certain about tonight, Top Rope Nation will be fair to Flair. (laughs) (laughs) Kyle, you ready for this one? Oh, I'm ready. And, you know, I got a little bit of a message for Nick Khan. Oh, big uh, wig at WWE. You know, I I assume that Top Rope Nation is going to be getting cut a very big check in the next week or so, because who's hyped up the Royal Rumble better than this podcast? Okay. (laughs) Every single day on Facebook, we talk about one or two of the events, you know, you know, in history, go through paper, we're going through them in chronology year by year. Uh, Last week, patron of the show, Michael Jenkinson joined us and we had this wonderful analytical history of the rumble, breaking down the 30 best rumblers. More recently, Liam and I talked about, Uh, the conceptual history of the Rumble and how it's evolved over its history. And tonight, we talk about the best Rumble ever. So, I mean, my God, if you're a fan of Top Rope Nation, I said this on the pod with Liam, I mean, you know, fan of the Rumble, fan of Top Rope Nation, you must be in heaven because we've done a heck of a lot better job getting over this event than they have on WWE television, in my opinion. Thank you very much. You know, I, I like your optimism, Kyle, but we're still waiting for that Taco John's check, too, that we've never gotten. <laughs> That's so a good point. Yes. <laughs> that is so true. I think you're. I think what you said is right on, man, because I'm kind of now just looking forward to watching the Rumble match Saturday after just watching old Rumbles, talking about old Rumbles. I mean, I posted on our main feed a preview of the, the uh, extra show you and Liam did the other day, and when I was typing in the title... I'm looking down like the feet of our main show and like everything has Royal Rumble in the title the last few weeks. So I'm like, how can I 
separate this from from the other so people can tell when they look at the feed it's a new show because it's all we've been talking about i mean but good rumble stuff not this current 2022 crap no doubt about it justin you ready to dive back into 1992 yeah i uh, poured myself a glass of chivas regal about as close as i can get to anything royal um and frankly you know i always thought it was kind of dumb when the wrestlers would run to the ring during their entrance but frankly I was so excited for this pod that if we had to make an entrance to it, I would have been running. <laughs> <laughs> like Randy Savage with his fastest 100-meter dash time of all time in yeah. that match. Well, okay. Oh. Did he run faster than a roided-up Ben Johnson in 1988? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good grief does he spread. He just gets that like low center of gravity. The legs are moving. Ooh. <laughs> I was watching it the second time tonight with my kids and they were like, is Macho Man in this match? Is Macho Man in this match? I'm like, yeah, he's towards the end. And then they started getting ready for bed. So then I, I fast forward a little bit to get closer when he came out and he comes screaming down the aisle. I'm like, that's him. That's him. They're like, that's not him. That's not him. I'm like, yes, that's him. He's wearing a bandana. <laughs> it's like, he, he came so fast. I couldn't even recognize him. So yeah, I guess, you know, oftentimes on these shows, what we do, we didn't really do this for shotgun Saturday night, but usually on the more fleshed out editions, top rope nation classics we talk about where we were at in our lives and our fandom i think what i want to do here because we've kind of talked about 91 92 you know we did tuesday in texas for example on this show that was not too much before this um is i want to just talk about what are your first memories of seeing the 92 rumble uh, kyle you're watching at the time uh justin i believe may have been i was you know i was pretty young i was eight years old so i was kind of like I was watching it, but not on a weekly basis, not paying super close attention. But Kyle, I mean, I'll start with you because you I know you were watching in real time. How pumped were you going into this? And then do you remember seeing the pay-per-view for the first time? Yeah, I was pretty into the product at this point. Um, you know, I after I, I said this a little bit on an episode of Squared Circle Gazette that's not yet come out, but after a very dull 1990 and a kind of weak 1991, the first half of 91, man, did this product kind of get a boost in the second half or, or in the fall of 91. So I was pretty into it. Uh, I would say this is the best period of WWF since at least middle of 89. Like when Savage had turned. Mm-hmm. When I first watched it, it would have been a couple months after, I guess. And what's funny is I always loved it, but it wasn't until years later. And maybe I'll tell the story at the end when I really, really started to appreciate it and put it on that tippy top level of WWF matches of all time. Okay. What about you, Justin? Um, I think I've kind of covered this before. I, I didn't. I don't think I really put it all together until recently though, but I mean, this was basically the apex of my fandom. I would, you know, I was the right age at 11 years old. Uh, my dad had gotten a great deal on a satellite, which, you know, gave us a plethora of channels, including some that had the pay-per-views. Um, but yeah, going back to WrestleMania seven, I, I, you know, I was a huge mark for, you know, that epic battle between Hogan and Warrior and then going to SummerSlam where Bret Hart wins the Intercontinental title. Um, and I had just at the end of 91 started watching WCW. 
Um, but with this satellite, I was able to either watch live or record every pay-per-view WCW or WWF uh, from basically November 91 to about June of 92. Um, and that run, you know, it has its flaws, but I was a huge Starcade Battle Bowl. So it went from that to Royal Rumble to Super Brawl 2 to WrestleMania to Wrestle War. Um, then the satellite kind of uh, flickered out after that. But yeah, I... I I don't remember if I actually saw this live, but at the very least, I probably saw it within a, a week because uh, I'm sure I would have had my dad uh, recorded on VHS, which explains uh, something we'll talk about later uh, when they have some Coliseum exclusives that I don't think I saw until very recently. Boy, I didn't really even think of the timeline of that, but that's crazy because... Like when we first met, we we reviewed Super Brawl 2, by the way, but that was the show that you always talked about. I remember mm -hmm. you loaned me your VHS copy of Super Brawl 2, and then I dubbed it from your copy, I think. I still have that around, I think, here somewhere. But yeah, back-to-back -back months with Royal Rumble 92. So you probably saw this then earlier than either of us. I mean, pretty close yeah. if you didn't watch it live or within a few days. So yeah, very cool. I I think I saw this. I think I rented it from Blockbuster a couple of years after the fact. I, I might not have seen this till like 94. I think oh, I might have wow. seen it around 95 yeah sometime in there but uh I mean always always loved the match yeah. uh, you know wrestling was still quite popular in school around mm -hmm. this time I remember in homeroom talking about the barbershop angle talking about warrior coming back at Wrestlemania 8 it wasn't until like the next year at school I think we talked a little about this maybe on a different show that it seemed my classmates really fell out, as did quite a significant number of people from the product. Did yeah. you guys have any idea? I'm assuming the answer is no, but you guys had no idea about the steroid stuff that was going on no. when you're a kid. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I don't nope. think I did either. I'm a yeah, I, I think I've told this too, but this was around the time. I actually can remember the time period of this Rumble. In fact, I can remember that very weekend what I was doing, but I wasn't watching the Rumble live. Um, but I've talked about, like, I had a friend at school who would bring his Hasbro figures on indoor recess day. I was in second grade when this happened. Uh, but I know for sure. So this event was January 19th. So my birthday was two days earlier. And I know that that weekend, my birthday party, I had my birthday party at McDonald's at the play place. Remember when people used to do that? Like I remember, I remember that birthday party. It was probably on my birthday or the Saturday night. So the weekend of the show. Uh, and so I can remember that period in my life pretty clearly, you know, turning eight years old, but yeah, I don't think I saw the show until three, three, four years later. It, it was a while. Then after the fact, I rented the video all the time. Uh, this is a Coliseum that I never actually owned, though. I didn't own this video. Uh, I just rented it all the time. And I think maybe the first time I had the Rumble was like, was that on? Was it on the Flare DVD? The first one? Yes, he put it on. Yeah, the, the, the complete match was on there. Yes. I think that was the first time I actually owned it. I think it was just I was renting it every couple months for a long, long time. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I was at. But, yeah, 92, definitely I remember people talking about wrestling at school, bringing the wrestling figures to school, the old, the old Hasbros and stuff. So it was definitely very popular versus three, four years later when I was definitely watching it every single week, like right when the Monday Night War started, uh, nobody at school was talking about wrestling in 95. You know, when I was in sixth grade. So it was much, much different. Um, going on in the world of entertainment and sports before we go back in time to Sunday, January 19th, 92. Number one song that weekend 
Had a multi-week run atop the charts. Black or White by Michael Jackson. That's a classic song. Oh, come on. (laughs) Come on, that's a classic. Dude, I watched that video the other day. That is a bad video. The intro's too long. I, oddly enough, saw that video the other day, too. I don't know what the hell that was on. Remember the time wasn't much better, either. (laughs) The, uh... The number one movie the week on a number of the 92 Royal Rumble was The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Ah, never seen it. Mornay. Yeah, I know what it's about, but I've never seen it. So, I mean, I've heard of it. It was, it was number one at the theaters for many, many weeks. Uh, it had just unseated Hook. So rest in peace, Robin Williams. I remember going to Hook in January of 92 for a friend's birthday party a couple of weeks after my birthday. So also Same. right around the time of this. Uh, yeah, you you too, Justin. Yep, yep. Went to uh went to it for a friend's birthday. Yep. So I can remember January '92 so clearly. I just I wish I would have got the pay per view and I could have watched it live. But saw it, saw it years later. Um, sport sporting world. I feel like we've probably covered this before. I guess it would have been on the Tuesday in Texas show. But in case you haven't heard that one, dig into our archives here on Patreon. But it '91 World Series coming off of that just a couple of months earlier. The Minnesota Twins over the Atlanta Braves, seven game series, four to Great three. Series. Skip the NBA, go to whatever's next. Yeah. I was actually going to have Kyle tell us what happened <laughs> in the NBA. Gee, I wonder who won the NBA finals that year. We got to stop doing these fucking. <laughs> who did the Bulls beat in 92, Kyle? In the 92 finals? Yeah. That would have been the Portland Trailblazers. Yes, four to two. Uh, Super Bowl 26, the now Washington football team over the Buffalo Bills, 37 to 24. A real favorite of the analytical community, that Washington football team. One of the yeah. highest graded seasons in DVOA in history. Vinny V, Brian Alvarez's buddy's listening. He's probably excited. Everyone else doesn't give a shit about what I just said. <laughs> and uh, the 92 Stanley Cup. Bulls and the Blackhawks were in the two simultaneously. The Blackhawks lost, though. They got swept four games to zero to the Pittsburgh Penguins. So that's the lay of the land in the sporting world. Anything else you guys want to talk about about 92 before we go back to this show? Anything I'm else ready. on your agenda? All right. I think I'm ready, man. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's get in the time machine. We're going back in time to Sunday, January 19th, 1992. Superstars compete in the Royal Rumble for the undisputed WWF Championship, including Jake the Snake Roberts, the Barbarian, the model Rick Martel, the Berserker, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Nasty Boy Sags, Repo Man, Sergeant Slaughter, alleged real-world champion Ric Flair, Hercules, Colonel Mustafa, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, Skinner, the British Bulldog, Baby Boy Smith, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, Haku, Shawn Michaels, the Warlord, El Matador, Sid Justice, IRS, Nikolai Volkov, the Texas Tornado, Virgil, The Undertaker, the Big Boss Man, 
Bregna Hammer Valentine, Superfly Snooker, and the immortal Hulk Hogan. It's time to rumble! It's time for the Royal Rumble! So it's at the Knickerbocker Arena, which is now the MVP Arena. Uh, 17,000 people sell out a live gate of $210,000. Looks good on television. Packed house. The crowd is into it. Yeah, love that crowd. A hot crowd for this era of WWF. Mm Mm-hmm. Pay-per-view buys, though. And, and Kyle, you talked about this on the show you just did with Liam looking back at the Royal Rumble, you know, as a whole and the growth of the Rumble and everything. 260,000 buys, which uh, really was not a great number. No, it was way down from the previous year. And, again, I had mentioned it just moments ago, if you guys were aware of it. And, you know, as children, we we weren't. But there was a big steroid scandal going on with this company and business was starting to decline after WrestleMania it would completely fall in the toilet, but survivor series 91 had not done well either. So we had started to see the effects because the product was definitely hotter. If you watch the TV, my God, it improves. Yeah. But I think that's the culprit there that, you know, Hulk Hogan's reputation is kind of going in the mud and the company's with it. Yeah. Yeah, two years earlier, the 1990 Royal Rumble, which we did a live watch along to on Classics a couple of years ago. Check that in the archives. Also did 260,000 buys, which was the same as 92. But then the one in between, uh, Rumble 91, you know, with the big Warrior Slaughter title match, 440,000 buys. And then as you go through 91, Mania 7, 400,000, SummerSlam, 405, Survivor Series 91, 300, Tuesday in Texas, 140. And then you get to Rumble 92, 260. WrestleMania 8 did 380. But anyways, that's where they're at. So it's a disappointing number because they are on that downward trend, you know, going back the last couple of years. Steroid trial impact for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Kyle. And the title on the line here. You, yeah. We should put, I mean, the, the title match was such an integral part of the Rumble pay-per-view doing a strong number in 91. Here, you're putting the title up for grabs in this match and a disappointing number. I think, as we talked about a little bit in the group on Facebook, the Rumble, while people of our age have fond memories of it throughout, it wasn't really a big drawing card until the early 2000s. That's when it sort of permanently surpassed SummerSlam as the number two show of the calendar year in the promotion. Yeah. And also very much a, a one-match show. There was nothing mm-hmm. on the undercard that was going to sell this as a pay-per-view. No. Mm-mm. All right. So I guess we can get right to the matches then. So well, we, we o- got to talk about the yeah. intro. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Did yeah. you guys like that? Vince announcing every single participant 
of the Royal Rumble. That's (laughs) what I thought. What? I thought it was absolutely tremendous. I think it's one of the best intros (laughs) to any pay-per-view in history. (laughs) Too long. Goes on way too long. The only thing I liked about it, (laughs) Kyle's face is killing me. (laughs) It is legit. I legitimately think it is the maybe the best pay-per-view open ever. Oh, I no. Like SummerSlam 91. But God, I have, SummerSlam 91. I literally have down in my notes, this is even better than Mania 6 or Nuptials Turn to Naval. <laughs> I can't be. I 91. like running it down. It's better now. You guys probably like the surprises of today's Rumbles. You, That's why you like No, it's not even, it doesn't have to do with that. It's just kind of redundant, I think. I think so, it's cool seeing all the faces. The Texas Tornado. The Undertaker. So that's the one thing I found very interesting, you know, watching this in hindsight and hearing Vince announce each and every name, basically normal, except for one person who gets the extra caveat of the legendary champion, Ric Flair. Yes. Flair's the one who gets the little extra pizzazz on his name. I just, I don't know, man. To me, this is Vince, not this senile old bat you get now who talks about dismembering people and stares at Austin Theory's ass. This is the Vince (laughs) I want. Now, even though I found that part, okay, just announcing every single competitor was, I I do really, really like them uh, right after that, very briefly uh, showing the uh, graphics for every match in the undercard. I very much like that, them going over it. Yeah, I mean, they've done this for the other Rumbles, like 90 and 91, I'm pretty sure. The the same in, with Vince introducing everybody. I, I, yeah, I do remember it for 90, because I, I remember when I mixed that, uh, the podcast, if I was going to include the whole thing or not, <laughs> if it would be too boring for the listeners as our intro. And no wonder we, we don't get anything built in wrestling with you guys too long. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so should we talk here about the opening match? I'm, dark match. Uh, Chris Walker defeats the Brooklyn Brawler. No, uh, <laughs> nobody I, laid down in those uh, opening dark matches quite like Steve Lombardi. Never seen it. No interest in ever seeing it. So I, I read Meltzer's review of this, and I guess they didn't they do something with Jack Tunney. They were trying to get him over as a babyface because he was going to come out for the before the main event. It says in uh, Meltzer's review, uh, Brawler got the pin with his feet on the ropes. However, Tunney came out and overruled the ref and reversed the decision. This was done to turn Tunney babyface for the live crowd so they wouldn't boo him when he came out for his announcement before the rumble. It didn't work since they booed Tunney like crazy when he came out later in the show. Yes. Best president since Noriega. Yeah, I had that in my notes too. So good. (laughs) Jack on the take, Tunney. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, but we can breeze through this. Obviously, the people are here to hear about one match, but yeah, uh, you know, I did re, I did just rewatch this undercard this morning, and there, there was uh, some things I think worth pointing out, some discussions okay. to be had. I, I like to leave no stone unturned. <laughs> All right, so didn't uh, Bret Hart say Adam Pro one time, or was that Jim Neidhart? What? Leave no stone unturned. One of them said that in a promo one time. I remember I who it know. was. Well, I was going to be my segue because we've got a heart in the opening match, but it's Owen Hart. we got Owen Hart and Jim Neidhart, the new foundation, taking on the Orient Express. Back at it in the uh, early, the opening match of the Royal Rumble. It was the opening match the year before, wasn't it, with the Rockers? Yep. 
So that one, much better match than this one, but this one, not a bad match. I mean, there's uh, far worse tag team matches on this show. Enjoyable (laughs) opening match. They get plenty of time, 17 minutes and 18 seconds with the new foundation going over. Justin, what did you think of this team of of Neidhart and Owen? I was ready to be into it when they, you know, debuted together or when Owen came to the aid of Anvil after he was attacked. Uh, I can't really say I liked their MC hammer checkerboard (laughs) outfit thing going on. And frankly, didn't really matter how we felt about it because it didn't last very long. Yeah, they were the not for long foundation. (laughs) I think this is the this is the gear Owen has on his Hasbro. Pretty sure. Yeah, I got it in the cabinet behind me. But yeah, yeah, the gear is a little goofy, but it screams early 90s. Kyle, your your take on this team. Yeah, there was two reasons the new foundation was not going to get over. Number one, it's a copycat of mm-hmm. an original thing, obviously. The Heart Foundation, Brett and Jim. And the look, you know. <laughs> this wasn't as bad as high energy when Owen would team up with Coco, but it was a goofy look. Funny that... Uh, Heenan makes a joke about the new foundation being in their pajamas, but my God, Pat Tanaka looked like he rolled straight out of bed for this one. <laughs> he, he, he looked like a guy who's like, just give me my check and I'm getting out of here. The Orient Express, I think, kind of had one foot out the door here. they There had been rumors of them breaking up or leaving the promotion anyway. Paul Diamond, a.k.a. Cato, or Kato, as Al Hayes would uh, call him, had failed a drug test before this used a little fake urine that uh, got caught with that so yeah they were pretty low on the card and justin mentioned this you know neidhart they had him commentate once brett became a single after wrestlemania 7 and he wasn't very good at it he was with he kind of honestly broke up the chemistry of monsoon and heenan on challenge so they put him back in the ring they did an angle where the beverly brothers jumped him took him out of the survivor series and then Owen shows up. They're a team. And New Foundation Works Orient Express, not the Beverly Brothers. Here. Yeah, I think it, it, says a, it says a lot that I don't think Gorilla or Bobby even mentioned the in-ring action for the first two to three minutes of this match. You know, they were uh, for, I love it. Bobby was just right off the bat talking about how nervous he was for flair, but you know, they were talking about who the <laughs> substitutes were for the Royal rumble and uh gorilla talking about Hulk being the odds on favorite. Uh, so it took a while for even them to get into this match. Yeah. And you talk about the time that this got, and it certainly would also hold true for the, another tag match, the Bushwhackers one, four undercard matches on a, two-and-a-half-hour 1992 WF pay-per-view, that's not a lot. you got to remember that, you know, like the WrestleManias, they were doing like 14 matches in two-and-a-half hours. So these undercard matches, they just sort of stretched them out and almost felt like house show deals. I thought Owen Hart was the clear highlight. He, he hit, mm-hmm. uh, as Meltzer would call them back in the day, some hot moves yeah. that really woke the crowd up. But other than that... uh you know, not very good. Heenan had some good lines, but they were not really about the match. You know, they were talking about Bret Hart, uh, which we'll get to in a little bit. And Heenan mentions, oh, yeah, Bret Hart had a 104-degree fever for that match of the money. I once wrestled with a 113-degree temperature. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so Owen um, pins Tanaka 
like I said, in, in 17 minutes, a little over 17 minutes for the finish. <laughs> Heenan has a, another good one, too. So, Mons, there's like a count. I don't know. The ref, it, was, it was a near fall. And Monsoon goes, at least the ref is consistent. Heenan goes, yeah, he does everything wrong. <laughs> I mean, Ric Flair is the undisputed star of the show, but by God, Bobby Heenan's number two. And Monsoon, by the way, uh, mentions the Midnight Express in this match. Now, he's talking about the movie, but it's kind of interesting, obviously, hmm. you know, the Midnight Express, the legendary tag team on the other channel. He says, just like the Midnight Express, the Orient Express will be hard to derail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I guess I'll just say it here since you mentioned Bobby uh basically being one of the MVPs of this night. I, I think this is probably the greatest night of wrestling commentating I've ever heard. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, Gorilla Monsoon with the sayonara call during yeah. the one, two, three. We, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we that is not something you would hear in 2022. Uh, something you yeah, see I a think, lot of. Well, I was going to say, yeah, outside of Ric Flair, Bobby Heenan is, is probably the secondary star of the show. Yeah, for sure. Um, but something you see a lot in 2022 our topes, obviously. Oh, at heart. Oh, babe, that that was a nice. Uh, he almost flew right over him. Yeah, yeah, that was really nice towards the end of the match. So, yeah, Owen looked great, but he was in goofy pants. And 1992, Jim Neidhart was not it. And by WrestleMania, Owen was working a singles match against Skinner with tobacco all over his face. Mm. Yeah. And then he didn't do anything. So... They show then, you mentioned the 104 degree fever. They show highlights from two nights earlier on my birthday, January 17th, when Bret Hart mm. lost the Intercontinental title at, in Springfield, Massachusetts at a house show to the Mountie. Uh, and that's the out is that Bret was wrestling so sick. And um, he goes for like a inside cradle, small package win, uh, but it's turned by the Mountie who then pins him. He attacks Brett after the match, and out for the save comes Roddy Piper. By the way, Roddy Piper rocking the Air Jordan 6s, I noticed. I mean, Piper not really known for urban fashion, but uh, pretty pretty nice shoes on Roddy Piper there as he comes out for the save in Springfield. Uh, he turns his back on the Mountie. The Mountie tries to attack Piper. Piper runs him off again, and this is why we get to Piper and the Mountie for the IC title here at the Rumble. So Brett was, was a, given the... It, it was originally scheduled to be Bret Hart defending against the Mountie at the Rumble, yes. but then they ran that house show angle and, and switched it all up. We should probably talk about the behind-the-scenes machinations as well. So, according to Bret Hart's book, on December 30th, he was told by Piper that there was this idea that it was going to be pitched to him by Vince that Bret would lose the title to the Mountie two days before the Rumble at the house show. The excuse would be had that he had the fever, and this would be to move the title to Piper, you know, another baby face, and that Brett would then work Piper at WrestleMania in Indianapolis, and Brett would get the victory and pin him, which is a massive deal. I don't think anyone had ever pinned Piper in WWF, correct? Not on not on television. Television. Jimmy Snuka yeah. pinned him at a house show once in like '84. Yeah, not on television. So I mean. Huge deal for him to lay down for Brett. So Brett was not too happy when he first heard he was going to be losing to the Mountie. But and then Flair he beat hurt. him too. Now, now that but, I think of that. So then, yeah, Brett is he's not happy. He's going to be losing to the Mountie. But then when he hears he's going to get the victory over uh, Roddy Piper at WrestleMania, he's fine with it. He's not happy. He's going to miss out on the payday for a pay per view because after Springfield, he basically goes home for the weekend. He gets some time off, which is cool, but he doesn't get that pay per view bonus. But then he's working Piper at WrestleMania. Uh, 
That said, in The Observer, Dave Meltzer says that Brett was negotiating with WCW about coming in for the Clash of the Champions, which was just days later, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just and like the next week, even maybe two days later or three days later, I believe. Yeah, and um, I guess that fell through. But I don't know. I don't know what the story is because Brett does not mention that at all in his book. There's a story a little while later in early '92 that Brett tells in his book where he's at a bar and it's WWF and WCW guys. You know, they're running towns close to each other, and he's talking with Harley Race, uh, who was managing Vader at that time, and. Brett writes that uh, Harley Race is pitching him that he should come to WCW, that Turner's going to open up a pocketbook. He talks about how Harley told him he was the best worker in the business at that point in time. He could make a real difference if he jumped ship. But Brett was loyal to Vince. He talks about you know the push that he is getting, and he doesn't see any reason to leave. He also writes that he didn't have great dealings with WCW in the past. So, I mean, there's a fairly lengthy portion and the observer about this i know kyle you've got this in your notes do you want to read anything out of what Meltzer wrote about what was going on behind the scenes yeah so it i've heard this before i assume you guys had too and i was totally going to defer to you on brett's book and it's interesting that there's nothing on it in brett's book but yeah Meltzer writes this big thing how this was wcw's idea to get brett to show up at the clash with the ic title as sort of a revenge for Flair taking the WCW title uh, on to WWF television earlier in the fall. What's odd, though, is, you know, Meltzer admits that Hart would be walking out of a valid contract, and there seemed to be some confusion on what Hart's deal was, that, you know, Hart thought his deal was coming up, but it really wasn't, and so that's why he had to back out. So I, I don't know if, if this is true or not, but Meltzer writes, it should be noted the decision to change the Intercontinental title from Hart to Piper was made weeks ago before any talks had even started with Hart and WCW. So despite rumors to the contrary that are sure to spread, it wasn't a last-minute decision made by Titan to get the belt off Hart for fear he was leaving. If anything, Hart, knowing he was going to lose the title, may have been an impetus in his exploring the option of a jump. Apparently, WCW offered Hart a guaranteed deal that was substantially more than he'd been earning as Intercontinental Champ. However, apparently, uh, or after apparently agreeing to the deal, Hart had to back off because he realized his contract with WWF, which he thought had run out, rolled over. He couldn't give notice for several more months. Meltzer goes on to say, WCW sources indicate Hart. Uh, they expect him to come in in a few more months, but Hart has been promised uh, that he would be getting the title back at WrestleMania from Piper, which Meltzer questions, you know, should you be believing that? Obviously, it does happen. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of confusion here, and it kind of works out bad, well for Bret Hart, I think, beating Piper at WrestleMania then obviously winning the world title later in the year. You know, it's interesting. I'd never heard that about how they were trying to get Bret to come over with the Intercontinental Championship because – in this same section that uh, Ryan was talking about in his book, he also briefly mentions that he did not like uh, or, or didn't think it was very cool of Flair to be flaunting the WCW world title uh, in the WWF because of the harm it would do to the wrestlers in his old promotion. Mm-hmm. Well, also, there was, at this point, the legal proceedings had already started to prevent flair from having the title on television wcw sued and this would 
later, you know, turn into this stuff with um, Medusa, you know, about, you know, what's intellectual property of what's company. And it would prevent, you know, you from bringing belts on other shows. So they they wouldn't, they they would have WCW. It would have been interesting. Had they done that, they would have been screwing their own existing lawsuit. Had they done that? So who knows? The bottom line is Bret Hart stays, uh, does not show up at the Clash of Champions. And- yeah, I don't know what the real story is. I mean, I wouldn't doubt that there was feelers maybe going out during that era, but it just doesn't really make sense based on what happened, what he writes about in the book, that knowing he's going to drop the title but work Piper at Mania, which is a huge spot. He talks about knowing he was going to then drop the title back to Shawn Michaels was the plan at that point in time. So who knows? Yeah. <laughs> You talk about Brett being upset missing the pay-per-view. Here's a little tidbit. Uh, Maybe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is accurate. I know you guys are big Bret Hart fans. This is the only pay-per-view Bret Hart misses before his sabbatical in 96, with the exception of a couple in your houses? I don't think there was another pay-per-view. I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, sounds right. Like until like Um, in your house too perhaps, or something. Like, he never missed a Rumble or a Mania or a SummerSlam or a Survivor Series. On this one, I don't think. Hmm. Not, not that I can think of offhand. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if the confusion about when his when his contract ended, if that had to do with that injury he had when he had the, the broken sternum. Was that in 89? Because we hear about now all the time where, you know, like when guys are injured, they'll add that time that they miss onto the end of their contract. So if there was some confusion on that, I'm wondering if that was from that period. I don't know, because I can't think of any other long stretches he missed during that, you know, two to three year period. Was that the Dino Bravo house show match? Yeah. 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 Okay. I think that was in 89. So it's still been a few years since then. But uh, I mean, he was pretty much around consistently after that. Back in these days, guys were always talking to the other promotion. Yeah, I mean the the only guy who I mean, WCW would, would knew that they had no chance of getting would have been Hogan. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, you know, guys always talked. So we had Piper who came out, you know, to help Brett after his title loss, and then here we are two days later in Albany, and it's Piper defeating the Mountie. It's a very brief match, five, a little over five minutes, five minutes and twenty two seconds. But Piper wins with the sleeper hold. For the title change to capture the Intercontinental title. Uh, crowd loves it. Crowd is super into Roddy Piper. To see him with the belt is cool because we know, you know, that didn't really happen. Uh, so, I mean, you guys have any thoughts on this match itself? I, I thought it was, for one, I, I love the crowd reaction and Piper was definitely very over. Um, but re-watching this, I was just, you know, I was going through the results and looking at the times and I'm, I'm starting to get annoyed looking at the times that these tag team matches are getting. And it's like, why does Piper only get a five minute match? And it's like, well, he, you know, shouldn't be working a match any longer than five minutes against the Mountie. He should be squashing him for the intercontinental title. Because I remember when I saw this, you know, it just Piper felt like a much bigger deal than all the previous intercontinental champions. He felt like a bigger deal than kind of the belt itself. Yeah. Yeah. And plus and, he's working 30 minutes later in the yeah, show. Double mm-hmm. duty. He's the only one on the in the opening part of this show that works the Rumble, right? Yeah, because it's all tag teams, the other matches. Yeah. None of the other tag team members get in there. So Love Piper's pre-match promo before. I think it was shared on our Facebook page, as a matter of fact, in the 92 discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roddy Piper tries a drop kick in this match. 
I don't think I've ever seen him try a drop kick in any other match. I could be wrong. Uh, incredibly over, like you guys said, the pop when he wins, and it's that sustained pop. Mm-hmm. Like people are just fucking happy to see Roddy Piper win the Intercontinental title, his only singles title he would ever win that was put over. Uh, I liked how the announcers put over the possibility that he could walk out with two titles tonight. That was really good and made his journey feel special. And yeah, the match was only five minutes. Wasn't much, but it was exactly what it needed to be, Justin. Yes. Like you said, I mean, I my buddy Brian, who you guys know, came with us to All Out. When he started like watching old wrestling, like diving into it when this podcast started, one of his first questions to me was, maybe this is a stupid question, but why was the Mountie the Intercontinental Champion? The <laughs> Mountie seemed kind of shitty. <laughs> I love that. I, I always did. I just think of that. Like I, that came to my mind when I was watching this match. That Brian asked me that question. So yeah, he was just a transition champion for yeah. two. I mean, two days to get it on on Narati and. Uh, yeah, I think this is very effective. It's what you want. It, Piper should have steamrolled him. And, you know, we get the goofy shock stick noise afterwards. I could have maybe done without that, but whatever. And Piper has a post-match promo backstage where he talks about, again, how he's going to go on and win the world title tonight, too, and have both belts. So, yeah. <laughs> effective, I think, too. There was something about wet dreams, too. Yes. I, yes. One of these <laughs> I think it's before the match. Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. I talk yeah. about Mountie and dreams. Oh, I heard they're wet dreams. Yeah. It was... And they right away, then they get that's like the last thing he says. Yeah. And Gene go. gets very uncomfortable. He's, okay. <laughs> let's go to the match. Yeah. So that's a lot more effective than the next two matches. Uh, yeah. Especially the next one. Well, th- this Coliseum video exclusively they do with Hogan, I have to ask a question. Was he doing coke when Alfred walked in? <laughs> in the bathroom. That was my first thought too. He he almost got caught doing a line. Dude, he was like <laughs> he was oddly staring down at like the sink in his locker room. It was just bizarre. I mean, I'm sure he obviously wasn't, but yeah, I don't know. Like you just think of this time period at WWF, you think of Hulk Hogan, and you think of getting barged in on and being in front of a sink acting weird. Yeah, I, don't I mean, know if the- he was tooting a little candy or what? The, the counter argument is that uh, it was a very awkward, sedated Hogan interview compared to like when he probably was on coke to the, some of the previous early shows we've done. <laughs> well, That's true. Was, He's not quite yelling in the same way. In well, this because, you know, hey, it takes a while for the drugs to kick in. And I noted <laughs> when he does his promo later in the show, the standard one in front of the rumble sign when the match is about to start, it feels like the coke had kicked in at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. So, freaking Speaking Beverly of the Brothers. Speaking kicking in. <laughs> yeah, damn Beverly Brothers. Oh, man. They're, they they okay. opened the show in 93. Here they are in 92 as well. We we have seen... I don't think the, the Bushwhackers are not exactly uh, my favorite offering here. I mean... No, I mean, both seen, of them. Oof. We have seen a lot of awful, awful, awful things in, in professional wrestling through our lifetime. And I think the worst thing I have ever seen was during this match when right there, uh, front and center on the camera, a Bushwhackers are cool sign held up by somebody. (laughs) The absolute worst sign I have seen in the history of this great business. (laughs) At the start of the match, the crowd is kind of into the Bushwhackers, you know, like that they clear the ring and they're 
they do the marching thing and the crowd cheers. But yeah, this got way too much time. Again, they're stretching. They only got four matches on the undercard. One of them goes five minutes. So yeah, the Bushwhackers at Beverly's getting what? 15 minutes is a real sick joke. And Jameson was not one of the finer moments of this time period of WWF. As a matter of fact, he was probably the worst. He can't, I forgot he was involved in the short-lived Bobby Heenan show on primetime in 89, which... Yeah, would, I looked that up too. But yeah, I thought he had just come about, or I just forgotten or got my timelines crossed, the hideous studio audience version of primetime wrestling, which was, you know, in between the classic era of Gorilla and Bobby, and then when they did that round table which people might remember the Mr. Perfect angle took place at the round table. Um, but yeah, for, for, Oh God, I don't know. Most of 91, they did prime time in front of a, a fake studio audience. It was like all Titan employees and Vince McMahon were like fucking Zubaz. And it was like cheer booed all the, it was so corny, so cheesy. And yeah, that, they killed it, thankfully, but unfortunately, Jameson made his way from that onto the main show and was added to the Bushwhackers Act, and it was very bad, very bad, <laughs> to uh, to say the least. Yeah, there's uh, Jameson on the Bobby Heenan show. I got shared on our stream yeah, right now. The Rosati sisters there. Uh, <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon halfway through this match has the balls to say this match is continuing at a furious pace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The whole match is just comedy to talk about Jameson, Bobby Heenan railing on him, the post-match yeah. spot. But like, we, we didn't need a 15-minute match to no. get there. J- this- Jameson wears only designer clothes. Marquet de Slum of Newark. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the point. This would be worst match of the year. I mean, it was in contention anyway. But Bobby Heenan's commentary, I don't want to say saves it, but at least it makes it worth if you've got to consume it, it gives you something. You know, he, uh, another line that he did has uh, about the Bushwhackers are those tattoos or do they draw on themselves? <laughs> Worst thing about wrestling the Bushwhackers is win, lose, or draw. You have to have everything you're wearing fumigated. <laughs> <laughs> is Governor Cuomo going to be here? I'll introduce oh. you to his brother Perry. <laughs> <laughs> after, uh, after the uh, genius hits Jameson. What a gutsy guy that genius to even touch that dirt ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd like to manage the Bushwhackers to the electric chair. <laughs> yeah. I-, I was shocked that the Beverly's won. Yeah. They, you know, they win with like, um, I can't remember if it was Bo or Blake, but behind the ref's back, one of them comes off the rope and they do that finish. Similar, but much more poorly executed than the Hart Foundation Brainbusters finish at SummerSlam 89. And the payoff to all this was just so lame with Jameson getting in the ring and he's he's going to punch him, but he just, he doesn't know how to punch someone. So he just weakly kicks the genius in the shins yeah. and the crowd's just like, Ugh. yeah, he was ah. the OG orange Cassidy. I, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I don't know what's worse. Nerds or Vince McMahon's interpretation of what a nerd is supposed to be. <laughs> I mean, oh, this is just like straight out of Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, 
I will say this. I, I looked this up for more info on Jameson. He did an interview with Sean Mooney on Sean Mooney's podcast. And Jameson did admit in that interview that he would smoke weed with sensational Sherry. So that's kind of cool and redeemable. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Is Jameson not bad? (laughs) (laughs) This star in the observer or this match in the observer got negative one and a half stars. Seems about Uh, right. Piper and the Mountie, by the way, I didn't read those off. One and three quarter. Uh, Opener with the new foundation and Orient Express three and a quarter. And it should, yeah. it, it should be noted Vince McMahon discovered Jameson while out uh, a night at the improv where Jameson was working in some troupe <laughs> and apparently introduced him to Bobby Heenan. And oh my there we God. went. Can't you hear like Vince? Out in the in the back, just screaming and hollering, thinking this guy is so funny. <laughs> oh my god, pal! You gotta bring you in. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Flip Wilson? <laughs> what do you think? Think about being a nerd. <laughs> How greasy can you get your hair, boy? <laughs> what if you Pal's eat gonna be bread at ringside? <laughs> Some thick glasses. Do you like to eat your own boogers? <laughs> we're gonna have you. We're gonna have you get some revenge. You're gonna kick this guy in the shin. <laughs> it's gonna be great. Can I shove you in the locker afterwards? <laughs> Jameson sucked. I, oh, I'm trying man. to think how long this went on. I don't think much longer because. The Bushwhackers, I'm trying to think, they sort of become persona non grata a little bit as 92 wears on, don't they? That sounds right, yeah. Yeah. Like, they're not on the WrestleMania card. They're not, I think they work a dark match at SummerSlam. By that point, Jameson had to be gone. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. so. Didn't go on for too much longer, thankfully. Natural disasters in Legion of Doom. Nine minutes and 24 seconds, a count out finish. The Ooh, last undercard match before the Rumble. Thoughts on this one? You know, it kind of goes without saying. We've probably said it before, but goddamn, that LOD entrance music is an all timer. So yeah. simple and effective. Mm-hmm. Um, one little kind of bit of trivia. I found while trying to ignore this match happening on the screen. Uh, It's really apropos of nothing, but I found it kind of interesting. So LOD won the tag titles at SummerSlam, the previous SummerSlam to this. And the tag titles would not change hands on a pay-per-view again until WrestleMania 11, April of 95, with Owen Hart and Yoko defeating the Smoking Guns. At At the 95 Royal Rumble, we did see new champs crowned. With one, two, three, kid and Bob Holly, uh, they beat Bam Bam and Tatanka, but that was a tournament final. So mm-hmm. that's and the LT angle took place in mm-hmm. the shadow of that. Yeah, wow, that's good. Almost yeah, three years, and I'll build off that. That's excellent, Justin. Research I would not have even realized that LOD was very over still at this point. I think it's fair to say the tag division was nose diving though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot, and it was about to get worse with Money Inc. Mm. There we go, <laughs> Money Inc. I, I, I guess the story that they were trying to tell here is that LOD for once was not the 
more physically imposing team of the two. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. The, the natural disasters, it, I could see where Vince would love the concept. My God, they're so big. Half a ton. <laughs> but it's so much weather. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's an earthquake and a typhoon. Um, but I don't really remember loving this heel run and my God, were they not a good baby face team either, which was coming once the money title change happens, uh, which was necessitated by, I believe, Hawk failing a steroid test uh, the following month. Uh, very weak finish with the count out. It was not like, it was just sort of like they hit their time cue and they all went outside and well, there you go. It wasn't like you- it was a wild brawl. If you think the finish was weak, how about those chair shots to the back afterwards? Oh, God, those are so bad. Those were horrendous. <laughs> Look like nothing, swinging that thing in slow motion. Not even really swinging it, just kind of uh, setting it out there. <laughs> he's, he's this big, massive guy like Hawk doing that. I mean, God. big uh, Great line by Dave Meltzer in The Observer. Quote, this was actually the best match I've seen these four have, but says more about how bad the other matches have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it yeah. Was, the, the tag division had really um just yeah it just it, it had started a nosedive at the end of 90 and by this point was no good and the rockers breaking up which i know we'll talk about in a few minutes anyway Whew, there, there just weren't a lot of good working teams in 92 <laughs> another line from dave with all the time they spent on booking the rest of the card they must have spent the time it takes between bites of a roast beef sandwich to come up with this finish one and a half I, stars. I miss Surly Dave <laughs> like that, you know? Oh. Well, if he acts like that now, like, you know, half the internet just rakes him over the coals. Sad. Oh, that's good. Good stuff. All right. Brings us to the Rumble. We get promos before the match from lots of the competitors. Any any of them stand out to you guys here? Uh, well, from, you know, what I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, me having basically watched this over and over again on my, you know, live recording of the VHS, I don't know if I'd ever seen this Ric Flair where he announces before the Rumble that he got, he drew number three, which I don't like. I think that, you know, kills a lot of the drama. Yeah, it should be noted it's a Coliseum video exclusive, so it's not like people who are watching the pay-per-view mm-hmm. live saw, I mean, that would be like an all-time gap. It. I yeah, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, why would you do that? Like it doesn't really make a ton of sense. Flair gives another interview afterwards. I guess they're just banking on the fact that everyone knew once you rent the video that Flair wins anyway, but it is kind of odd. Yeah. Yeah. That they, they would have it in there. Um and it and it again, if if you don't know this, like if you're younger and you're not like us and, and know that this is a Coliseum video exclusive now, you're probably confused. 10 minutes later when Gorilla and Bobby are acting like they don't know when Ric Flair is going to come out. So, uh, yeah, just an odd inclusion. Yeah. Shawn Michaels has a promo. We should probably talk the freshly heel turned Shawn Michaels as the barbershop angle had just aired Mm -hmm. in syndication prior to this. Yeah, he gets a great response from the crowd. Loud booze when he comes out. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, basically, it was mostly all big hitters here except for the fucking repo man oh, and, and a bad one. sorry for the gimmick infringement here kyle but the repo man yeah he he was not good a real low light of this time period it was so obvious it was barry darso too yes mm-hmm. which is interesting because 
Barry Darso got the Demolition Smash gig originally because they felt everyone still recognized Randy Colley as one of the Moondogs. He was the original Demolition Smash. And here it is, like, years later, everyone just clearly knows that's Demolition Smash and a freaking goofy <laughs> Repo Man gimmick. But, um... Looking yeah, like I the Hamburglar. Get... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just want... Yeah, you, you, the other interviews were Savage... Uh, Sid, Repo, Bullock, Jake, who I thought was phenomenal. Flair was good in this one. The Undertaker, Hogan, I mentioned the Coke was kicking in, and he references Titan Towers, which is odd. But that Michaels one, I wanted to go back to that, uh, was called an underdog by Sean Moody, because that one takes place mm. separate of the other ones. It's like in that fake locker room get-up mm-hmm. they had. And <laughs> um, Sean Moody, on his way to interviewing Michaels, walking over, he is shoulder bumped by a pacing barbarian, which was odd. Uh, we should note that Marty Gennetti missed this rumble. He was one of the guys taken out. He was selling the injuries in the barbershop, which made sense. Uh, now, <laughs> unfortunately, Jay would not be long for the promotion because a week later he was indefinitely suspended when he was arrested uh, with a 19-year-old girl and cocaine, which is <laughs> never really <laughs> going to do good for your mm. career. And then that uh, pretty much derail. I mean, Sean and Marty at that point. Woo. Yeah. Uh, wasn't it Brian Knobs, uh, Justin, that missed this show too? That was on that link you sent me a little bit ago was, because he I thought got... it was Jerry. No, it was Knobs. It was Knobs. Okay. Yeah, he he was stabbed in Peoria. Yeah. Haku replaced him in the Rumble. Yes. Kazunta. Jesus. <laughs> God. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the match. This is what the I'm, people came for. I'm getting another beer before we do this. All right. <laughs> He's ready. This is a magnum opus coming right here. Oh, God. You know what? Uh, so Look yeah, at my just, beer. Uh, real quick. Uh, I probably should, too. The substitutes were Haku and Nikolai Volkov was the other one, replacing Janetti mm. and Knobs. Uh, I kind of forgot Nikolai Volkov was in this match after I hadn't watched it in a couple of years. I'm like, Nikolai Volkov? Jesus. It's a tough time for those Lithuanians. Too bad. <laughs> I'll make another beer, too. I'll be right back. God, I, I love that first step of an IPA sometimes, Justin. <laughs> I hear you. Mmm. Tastes pretty good. But yeah, where are we at? We're talking Nikolai Volkov? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just quickly going over... Uh, who they were substituting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Volkov substituted for Janet. Yeah. <laughs> the usually docile 1992 WWF crowd is well booing him when he comes out. Too. <laughs> I feel so bad for Volkov. He's like running down, trying to get a high five from the crowd. No one high fives him when he runs out. He's got that big grin on his face. You kind of feel bad for him. Yeah, he's just happy to be there. He's getting a payday. <laughs> yes, he is. He's so. getting that check. All right, so just to let the people know, I don't know if Ryan's cutting this part out or not, but I'll just stall for time. Yeah. I did not watch the Rumble match in preparation or rewatch. I've the reason I didn't rewatch it is because I've seen it like 50 times <laughs> and I know it like the back of my hand. So I'm just gonna say, go ahead and quiz me. I don't think there was I have no notes okay. down in front of me for this. Now I <sighs> I, I did write down after because you'd said this to us in a text. And so I quickly went through this rumble and jotted down a few things to see if maybe you could rattle them off if, off the top of your head. Oh, maybe we'll start with an easy one. Flair 
had five eliminations, whether by himself or shared. Can you name the five people he eliminated? Bulldog. Yep. Tornado. Yep. Sid. Yep. Who else does he eliminate here? Um, does he get credit for the boss man one? Yep. Okay. Hmm. The, last, the last one, I, I'll give you a hint. It is, uh, he shares this with somebody else. He shares it with somebody else. Oh, is it the Randy Savage when he runs across the ring and yes. he drops it into him? Okay. Yeah, there yep. we go. All right. I, all right. I got two more that'll be a little quicker. Uh, okay. Virgil has one elimination. Who does Virgil eliminate? Who does Virgil eliminate? So Virgil comes in at 22, a very regrettable Bobby Heenan line <laughs> that we will not be mentioning on this show. Um, we, okay, look, uh, I'm going to tell you something right now. I, I told the story, I think, on the Michael We are not fucking canceling Bobby Heenan, okay? He made some, he made some jokes that were, that were uh, okay, they don't age well. We are not fucking canceling Bobby Heenan. Um, let's see. Who did Virgil eliminate? So he comes in at 22... Um, uh, and he kind of stays in for a while. He's battling with Piper. It's got to be somebody weak. Uh, let's see. Hogan gets the Berserker. So it's got to be Skinner or Mustafa. Virgil eliminates a former Royal Rumble winner, buddy. He eliminates mm. a does he eliminate Jim Duggan. Hacksaw. Yeah, he eliminates wow. Jim Duggan. Oh, wow. Okay. And I think the most uh, shocking thing I found in this quick little venture I did was Repo Man had two eliminations in this Royal Rumble. One of them's definitely Volkov. Yep. And then... I'm trying to think of Repo Man. I was going to say his, we... pride, his pride in his manhood. Yeah. He has that... <laughs> oh, so that's what... No, so Boss Man throws him out and he starts like looking all around weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think... It might be Valentine. That's correct, sir. Good job. Okay. I, I love the, I forgot what show it was. Right. I feel it was like this Tuesday in Texas with Skinner that we did. Gorilla Monsoon was one of the more subtle guys at just burying someone he didn't like. He kills the repo man when he comes out in that match. Mm-hmm. He's like, look at this guy. This. <laughs> he doesn't even know what he's doing. <laughs> and Bobby, he was like, yes, he does. He was like, really? Or, or Monsoon's like, really? <laughs> you could grill monsoon was not consulted on the repo man gimmick didn't like it no all right this is what the people came for the 92 rumble match the greatest royal rumble of all time in many people's opinion i don't know if you want to kyle do you want to go into that right now on why you believe it is the greatest there, there's been weren't... some backlash against that lately i've yeah, been seeing just... online i've seen well, so much stuff I'll, going I'll, on i want to talk about that at the end okay okay i'll you just say that i you know why you know why i want to talk about it at the end why? Because I too finished these fights. Oh, <laughs> love yeah, it! I, I was, I, I was, I felt the, you know, I was a little attacked, but that's okay. We'll talk. I, I actually kind of, maybe it's going to be unfair my criticism, but I, there's a very specific kind of person who generally doesn't understand and i always try to be fair to flair yeah or fair to these people <laughs> why that might be and, and i'll talk about that later on but we should go through the match okay yeah okay 
So I guess we've never really like reviewed a rumble on the show. We did the watch along to the 1990 Royal Rumble, but we haven't talked about it, talked about an entire rumble as a whole. So I don't really know what strategy you want to apply to this. I mean, we can talk about how it starts off with the Bulldog and DiBiase. Well, uh, I, I think right off the bat, something I wrote down is Ted and Sherry coming out. Uh, <laughs> Sherry, Sherry looking terrific. And Bobby going, Boy, look at them. <laughs> it's such a I'm great line because sure he, he could be talking about both that. of them. Yeah, but yeah. he's not talking about both of them. He's talking well, both of them, yes, but not the two people. <laughs> Bobby was so good at getting that in. Um, yeah, so a uh, couple things I love right off the rip from these two. Okay, there it's the subtle things that take, you know, a great match and turn it into an all-timer. Bulldogs number one, they immediately put over the battle royal he had won the previous fall on the UK tour, the cutted, uh, what is it? The Savifard trophy or whatever. Royal and so it's like, yeah. yeah. So, and, but it was a 20 man traditional battle royal, but still it's something you think about. And then when you couple that with Bulldog getting a decent little run in this, it elevates them a little bit. Um, DiBiase comes out at number two, gorilla immediately hits him with, you're not going to buy a number this year, which is good. And I absolutely love, Ted DiBiase being eliminated right off the rip. Mm-hmm. Love it for two reasons. One, it drives home to the audience, hey, this incredible opportunity that these guys have winning the title can just go away like that. And DiBiase was still a big-time guy at that point. But two, from a practical standpoint, DiBiase was really the only guy in this match who was could sort of step on what they were doing with Flair in that he was like a worker heel. And so having DiBiase and Flair in simultaneously, it's, you didn't want that. So it was actually smart for Ted DiBiase to be the guy eliminated right off the rip before Flair. Because he's yeah. not stepping on what Flair's doing. Your and he'd, been, he'd been a bit of an Iron Man in a previous Rumble too, right? Was that 90, I think? It was 90, incorrectly called 91 by Monsoon on the telecast, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, crowd is super into Bulldog. They buy him as a viable yeah. winner here. And, and and Flair, or pardon me, DiBiase getting taught, like the crowd's like, holy shit. Like that, mm-hmm. it's the spot, like they're like, Ted DiBiase's gone like that? And then, and then we get just the iconic moment where like Heenan, who's been a nervous wreck, he mm-hmm. starts counting down that great camera shot. I saw yes. someone talk so on Twitter good. that this is one of the best camera shots in WWE. It's the long view down the aisle and Monsoon, it's Ric Flair! And he did immediately just goes, damn it! You can <laughs> kiss it goodbye, brain! <laughs> yes. yep. Never before in the history of the Royal Rumble has anyone numbers one through five been there at the end. Watch your language. Sit down, you'll have a heart attack. <laughs> Yeah, I love the way that camera just like screams up at the aisle mm-hmm. right at him, catches yeah. him, and then follows him down. It's, it's and perfect. It, and the crowd, maybe this is just me looking into it with rose-colored glasses. It's kind of like, oh shit! Like mm-hmm. he got an early, like, is he gonna go along or what's going on here? Like this is crazy. This is one of the favorites to win, and he's number three. Because people need to remember that. Yes, when you watch it now, thirty years later. Rick's like, yeah, by the way, Ted, you, you come up short again. You know, you never got the NWA title. You ain't get this one either, buddy. But, um, you know, <laughs> the idea of a heel, like, 
would last the entire match was ridiculous in 1992. Mm-hmm. If you if you were around in 1992, they just did not do that with heels. So yeah, you could say, well, it's of course he's going to stay around to the end. Not, and not just not just a heel, but a somebody who's brand new to this company from a competitor and not a monster. It's not yes. a monster you're building yes. up to for Hogan. This this dude was a just a, a wrestler. All right, so we get to the bulldog and flyer here, and uh, <laughs> Keenan immediately apologizes and tells the people, "I'm sorry, but I don't think I'm going to be able to be objective tonight." <laughs> when have and you I'm... ever been objective? <laughs> yes, oh. <laughs> that is so good. Just set the tone. I mean, it needs to be said. Allow us to be the last to tell you. Look, this was going to be a great match with Flair's performance anyway but it is completely enhanced by the soundtrack that is Bobby Heenan. Mm-hmm. Like I, I like what cements it on that all time level is Bobby Heenan's commentary and him just blatantly rooting for flair the whole time. Uh, I know yeah. I shared with you that match review from tape machines. One of my favorite reviewers, he calls it the best uh, piece of commentary for any match in history. Yeah, Would you I, guys agree with that? Absolutely. Hard to argue. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I couldn't decide if the only flaw in this match is that we don't get any actual camera shots of Bobby, or if maybe that just adds to it, not male to see him and only hearing him just be nervous yeah. the entire time. I think it does kind of add to it. Cause like Monsoon's like sit down and you could like picture in your head, mm-hmm. Bobby Heenan with that exasperated look pacing around in the booth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> At one point he's like, I'm going to ringside. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And he's like, why can't Perfect be out there? And Vatsu's like, managers aren't allowed in this thing. But he's an executive consultant. <laughs> and Vatsu's like, same thing, a pest. Yep. <laughs> Gorilla does a good... I mean, obviously Heenan's the star of the commentary team, but I mean, Monsoon knew exactly how to set up all of Heenan's lives and how to react to them well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Ryan was just playing the gif of uh, Flair walking out and that's an all-time look on somebody's face walking to a ring. It's like you almost can't tell if there's a little bit of nerves there, but it sure does look like it's just a steely, you know, he's he's ready to go. He's ready to show the WWF universe what's up. Yeah, exactly. He's like, all right, you guys have heard about me. They have they portrayed me like shit these first three months. That we, mm-hmm. we should point that out. He was not portrayed the best. Yeah. Um, and he's like, Tonight I'm gonna be Rick fucking Flair, and you're all gonna see it. Yeah. You know, and I'm just going to say it here because, like, like I said earlier, I did not really start watching WCW until late 91. So I never really saw Flair before this. This is kind of my first true exposure. But I remember having just random wrestling books and seeing Ric Flair. I remember one picture in particular of he was standing in some giant outdoor arena and he had the big gold belt on. And, it, you know, it just as a kid, you're, you know, your imagination runs wild as to this other promotion and these champions and what would they look like, you know, against the champions that you've been watching and seeing like the Hogan's and the Jake's and all these, the savages. And, and, you know, going back to your point about the million dollar man being eliminated right now, the first time I watch this is like, it's kind of like, oh, he's probably going to get eliminated real soon here. And as you pointed out, he hadn't exactly been booked very strong in these first few months. Yeah, and he gets yeah, and, and he, the elimination teases right away with the press slams and stuff. He just mm-hmm. he just sets an immediate tone for this thing, and this first act of the Rumble 
it is very much establishing Flair as the centerpiece of the action. Everyone who comes in works with Flair. There are other guys who go long in Rumbles that we see in the past. Benoit, Mysterio. But those guys were not the centerpiece of the match the entire time like Flair was here. You know, number four is Jerry Sags, a 300-pound guy, as he points out. Number five is Haku. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it, you know, they, they both kind of just go, they just stay in there two minutes and it's out. It's back to Davy Boy and Flair. Six is Shawn Michaels. Uh, I loved and completely agree with that tape machine review. This was good. I'll, I'll maybe reference that review a couple times in this. It did kind of feel that Michaels was like out there and like understood the gravity. He's like, hey, I'm working with Flair. And he like was actually wanting to impress him. Mm-hmm. A little bit, like working side oh, yeah. by side. They had had a singles match. Uh, it was dark, uh, it, but it was on a, a Coliseum video shortly before this. Flair, Michaels had requested it. So Michaels mm-hmm. was a big Flair fan, and this had to be such a thrill for him, too, to come in early. You know, when, it, yeah, to your point, I was I was actually thinking of that famous photo of Sean when he was in high school posing like Flair. Mm-hmm. You know, like the cover of Flair with the NWA belt from like the early 80s. I'm thinking like that's probably running through his mind right now as he's out there. You think of that in your head, how freaking excited he probably yeah. was. Because he just starts selling and taking bumps. And there's that thing <laughs> yep. where like they both almost go over and then they attack Davy Boy simultaneously. Yeah. It's cool. You know, going back to you talking about how this, this the focus of this match is Flair. And I'm thinking about that article that you're referencing that you sent to both me and Ryan, which is tremendous. And we should probably try and share somehow. But, you know, obviously I didn't know at the time, but even outside of just in the ring in this match, I mean, this is basically Flair wrestling the ghosts of wrestling past for him. He has a connection to a just a ton of these guys. And then even the guys he doesn't have a connection with, you know, like Michael's there's still a connection because Michaels absolutely adores flair. You know, he idolizes him. Yeah. Uh, seven is El Matador. Shawn Michaels starts making guacamole out of him. Look at the tights. <laughs> <laughs> again, I again, Bob, Bob, 1992, Bob heated. Uh, number eight is the barbarian. And I want to bring this up. So monsoon does this great thing. And this is something the listeners need to think about. This is when announcers had credibility. Okay. Monsoon, he makes this point with Aku earlier, Barbarian here, and Hercules a little bit later on. Each time they, they go after Flair, and Monsoon insinuates that it has something to do with the way Bobby Heaton treated them when he was their manager. <laughs> and you believe it because you believed Gorilla Monsoon. If Corey Graves said that, now you're like, oh, shut up, you fucking idiot. <laughs> no, that's not why they're doing it at all. That is, It's called credibility. And Monsoon might not have called moves and whatever, but it's called credibility, and it goes a long way, and it needs to be said right here, right now on Top Rope Nation. Also, they don't call him the Barbarian because he's a hairdresser on his day off. <laughs> it's a great line. <laughs> I like when Heenan said, Barbarian doesn't like anybody. When I managed him, he barely liked me. Yeah. I thought that was a good line. And this, he, he, you know... <laughs> He's just a guy wearing furry pants and antlers, man. <laughs> yep. Carrie uh, Von Erich and number nine, the Texas Tornado. This uh, is what Justin was just saying. Yeah. This is my this is my favorite part of the match. Oh, this is what I okay. Yep. It, it's my low-key favorite thing. Yeah. I wish I would have screen capped this so I could share it, but like 
right when tornado comes out, they cut to flare and he has like this look on his face. Like he's yes. so excited. Yes. It's like he breaks character almost. Like you can see the look in his eyes, like, oh my God, here we go. He's thinking back to world class or, you know, NWA, I guess. But yeah, the NWA title match in world class with Kerry Von Eric in 84, you know. Or any unbelievable girl, like, I was, moment. I was going to say, if, you know, for those who know what's going on, my God, for like 10 seconds, you think, yes. Is it Christmas night, 1982, all over again here? Yeah. Because he's just, and, and I love an exasperated heat and goes, they just keep getting bigger. <laughs> like, that's just the one that Tornado comes up. And this is the greatness of Flair in this match. Yeah. Because Tornado was doing nothing in early 92. Nothing. I mean, his life, you know, we joke around a lot on the show, but his life was kind of falling apart. And then, you know, mm-hmm. next year, he, I mean, he, he committed suicide. It's horrible. But, like, here, like, he comes out, and for 30 seconds... In this, he, he, in his just meandering run of WWF, you would think he's got it all over again. And like it's down, like he comes out, he does the discus punches, flare flops off of it, and mm-hmm. all is fucking right in the world, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead, Ryan. I was just gonna say it's so amazing because, like I said, the look in his eyes, and it's it's almost like Flair has been looking forward to this, like the most of anything that's happened in the match. You can tell because Carrie gets to the ring and he immediately flair stands up goes over there and they just start going to town it's just a great moment yeah crowds into it a a very minor moment that i I think we've actually kind of missed but i just want to go back to real quick like i said very minor but something i very much enjoyed when michaels is up on the the second rope and he's waiting for tito (laughs) to turn around to hit him with a double axe handle Uh, but when tito finally does he's way too far away for sean to actually do anything so he just kind of leisurely hops down and they just lock up i just love it yeah. it's like, you know it's so much better than you know him actually trying to do some shitty looking high spot he's just like eh, fuck it i guess we're just gonna lock up i mean i guess it gives it more of a realistic feel to yeah, it like you know exactly. he just he, he was waiting for him and it didn't happen you know i mean you know, the guy didn't turn around for him oh well yeah uh repo man comes out next whatever <laughs> takes his time Monsoon down just there. buries him yeah Circles the ring a little bit, waiting to get in. Uh, Flair going nuts with chops in the ring at this point. Uh, we get the Hammer Valentine, as Monsoon calls him. Greg the Hammer Valentine coming out at number 11. So I was reading the Observers from late 91. Okay. And Meltzer was adamant that they were trying to get rid of the Greg Valentine from his name and just call him the Hammer. Oh, so that's why. Okay. I wondered why he said that. The Hammer Valentine. Like, Where's the Greg? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gorilla wasn't going to do it. One thing, again, I loved about Gorilla is if he thought something was fucking stupid, he wasn't going to do it. Like, Gorilla <laughs> was one of the few people that could get a Like, Vince McMahon probably could not tell Gorilla Monsoon what to do. Like, Gorilla predated Vince. You know, he worked for his dad. And yeah. Gorilla, like, if, if Gorilla wanted to say Valentine or wanted to say Greg, he was going to fucking say it. Mm-hmm. You know, Kind of falling a little bit in line with the Carrie Von Eric of it all. It it kind of looks like Flair and Valentine want to have their own little match in the middle of this. You know, Valentine looks pretty pumped to be working with Flair. Another old guy. And a guy dying on the vine. I don't think anyone was looking for that big push for Greg Valentine. And I I mean, he was he was not a, a replacement in this, but still, I mean, he was as low as anyone on the pecking order in this rumble. And again, 
you get like 30 seconds to a minute him working with Flair, and you think it's mid-Atlantic in the late 70s all over again. Wait a second. Are you telling me that rhythm and blues didn't heat him up? <laughs> Just ask him. <laughs> One of the low points. He'll tell you it was the low point of his career, dyed his hair black. But yes. I love, yeah, you know, they start unloading on each other with chops. And Valentine at one point puts the figure four on yeah. him. And Heenan starts like hyperventilating and crying. <laughs> yes. So good. Oh, so good. Um, Nikolai Volkov, number 12. Yep. Uh, uh, just, nobody's really well, excited were, to see well, him. Yeah, while you were getting a beer, Justin and I were joking about that. You can just leave that in, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> Heenan saying. Or Matsu goes, it's a tough time over there for those Lithuanians. And he goes, who cares? <laughs> just bury it. Oh, just bury I felt, it, yeah, it's just, yeah. poor Nikolai. I mean, the usual docile WWF crowd. Yeah. <laughs> uh, boss man at 13. Crowd always loves boss man. Mm-hmm. Gets good reaction coming out. I, uh, somebody made this point on Twitter once and they aren't wrong. It is so, I mean, obviously, whenever anyone dies, it's terrible. But, like, with Boss Man, he's a guy that, like, if he would have lived into the independent show days, like, he, can you imagine, like, the oh, kind God. of money he would have made, like, just yeah. showing up to in his routine? Like, mm-hmm. he would have been thought of that. over. Yeah. Like, um, people used to talk about a, a guy who, were gonna, who will be in this Rumble in a little bit, Jim Duggan. Like, in the dying days of WCW, when they would run the old Mid-South towns, Jim Duggan was like the most over guy on the show. Yeah, there are certain guys from this era, boss mans, Duggans, uh, you know, that, you know, if you would have put this guy in a house show or like an indie show, in like the late 2000s or something, they'd have been the most over guy. Yeah. Uh, let's see where we at here. Boss man at 13. Should we and, talk and about then, the eliminations? Yeah, because this is like when the first act sort of comes to an end. Yeah, There's, yeah. There aren't elimin- any eliminations for a while, but then they start going bang, bang. Flair dumps Bulldog and Tornado. Um, Repo does his two eliminations that Justin mentioned, I think. Say, uh, Michaels and Santana take each other over the ropes. Yeah. Um, and... So the ring's starting to really clear out. Boss man tosses Repo. He's just punching everybody. Hercules um, comes in. Flair, Flair uh, dumps Bulldog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And, and, like, and Tornado successively with the backdrop. So that's when, like, and that's kind of when the crowd's like, fuck, like, Flair's getting a second wind here? Oh, shit. Because, like, I, you I, know, him and Bulldog have been out there. I do love when uh, Hercules comes out, who, by the way, has the shortest run in this Royal Rumble. Uh, I love Flair completely no selling his rabbit punches yes. to his midsection. <laughs> yes, that was great. Which, which is also, you know, one thing with Volkov too. Now that you mentioned the no selling the, I felt so bad for Volkov. He gets in the ring at one point and no one wants to work with him. Like, and he's just sort of <laughs> standing there awkwardly shadow boxing. And then I think like the barbarian just sort of walks over to him out of pity at one point. But um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it winds up. This winds up with the ring clearing, yep. and Flair being the only one left. It's an, an absolutely crazy uh, elimination bump from Big Boss Man, where yes, like, he will takes he, his head off. Yeah, that was insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes. 
It's down to like four guys. Hercules and Barbarian go over. Flair think Boss Man's over. He turns around. Boss Man with the little, no, I'm still around. Crowd's loving it. And then, yeah, he takes the bump over. Flair's the only guy in the ring. Flair flop. Heenan, Flair's the champion of the world. <laughs> and by the way, what? This thing's already half over with. So I'm going to bring this up now. It was in college when I rewatched this match for, I don't know, the umpty. I'd seen it many times before, but I, I threw this on one day in college. And I'll be very honest about this, okay? I was very high. My roommates were very high when we watched this, okay? That should not shock anyone who's a long-time listener of this show. Okay. If you're a kid, I'm sorry. Don't do drugs, kids. Okay. But I think most of our Patreons are over 18 years of age. Okay. And I'm like, we're just all sitting there high. And like, I'm selling them on this. Cause I really want these guys to get around. Like, I thought this was a good match to get them into wrestling and Ric Flair. And they're starting, like the one guy was not a wrestling fan at all. And he's starting to get into this fucking, this fucking, this match. And I start shaking them. And you can imagine on this. I'm like, Flair really needs an ally now, doesn't he? And my buddy, uh, I won't mention his name because I don't want to get in trouble. But he's like, uh, he goes, I don't think it's going to be an ally. (laughs) 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 And sure enough, it's fucking Roddy Piper. Uh, And the place just loses its shit. This might be the best part of the Rumble. This is on the short list, the best parts on the Rumble. That, yeah, this is that's up there too. This, this is how well laid out this match is. Just perfect yeah. timing there, right in the middle. Flair all alone. Out comes Piper. They work this like a singles match for a little bit. They fight to the outside. You get the airplane spin. You get the sleeper hold that Piper won with earlier. I mean, it's which yeah, it's yeah, and he's and Heenan is incredible during this portion. When Piper runs out and just starts kicking Flair's ass right off the rip, Heenan just said, "This is not fair to Flair. This is not yeah. fair to Flair." And I don't know if you guys noticed this. Correct me if I'm wrong, because you just watched it. But Flair dips out of the ring to the outside to like mm-hmm. kind of run away, and it draws some heat. The yeah. crowd's like, "Oh, you sneaky son of a bitch, getting trying to get out of the ring." <laughs> That's great. And then when they get back in, he does this sleeper. Pardon me, as I drink too much beer before this take. Uh, he- Heenan's like, that's how he won the Intercontinental. Oh, no, he's going to put him over. Oh, no. And he's just like, he, I think he starts going everything down the drain. <laughs> I, I got to say, because, you know, I was able to watch this before I knew the results. When Piper came out with that crowd reaction and his interaction with Ric Flair as a kid, having just seen him win their Intercontinental title, I'm legit thinking, holy shit, Piper's going to get both titles in one night. You know, he's he's finally getting that rocket strap obviously i didn't know the term rocket strap back then but i I thought it was happening this is one of the best nights of roddy piper's career yeah for sure yeah uh we get jake robertson number 16 (gasps) okay okay the next two minutes are so (laughs) glorious in this match this is one of my favorite commentating moments in this matches jake coming out and Gorilla and Bobby both in unison going, Jake, the snake, Roberts. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it just sends chills down my spine. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. Heated's like one of the most evil men walking the face of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The interaction. So you've got Flair, who's the big heel, who's the star heel of the match. But Roberts, the work he'd done, I don't need to tell you guys. I mean, all timer heel work in the months leading up to this match. Mm-hmm. He comes in. Piper's got Flair in the sleeper. He just slithers in, so to speak, and just sits in the corner 
and watches him. And the crowd kind of pops for it, right? And, like, and, oh, it, and he motions to Piper. It's like, no, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and then for the next two minutes, it is so glorious just watching three Hall of Fame guys, like tippy top Hall of, not like Coco Beware Hall of Famers. I'm talking about fucking real Hall of Famers, okay? <laughs> just turning on each other. Yeah. Like, it's just like, you know, whoever's down, they kick up and Heenan. It's a kilt, it. not a skirt. It's a kilt. Yes. I never <laughs> thought I'd say this, but thank you, Ronnie Piper, when he saves him from the DDT. And then Piper kicks Flair and he goes, you no good skirt wearing freak. <laughs> it's a skirt, not a kilt. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. I mean, I, there aren't many better two minute stretches of any rumble in history than just these three taking turns yeah just turning on each other i mean it's who it is where they were at that point in the career you know in the context of this match i mean it's at this point i think you know i i've made up my mind on the match obviously long ago but you know in the first couple viewings whenever that was in the 90s i think back it's at this moment of the match you're like dude this is like a really fucking good match Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's uh yeah, this is this is probably a highlight too for sure. I mean, I, I like the little part with with Carrie Von Eric. It's brief, but it's just such a great callback. You can see the excitement in in his eyes. But then yeah, here these three all time greats here, as you said, Kyle, real Hall of Famers. I mean, yeah. it doesn't get much better than and, that. And then you gotta have a baby face come out because it's two yeah. heels and one baby face. And Jim Tuckin gets a monstrous pop. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, hey, people love hoes. I, I mean, yeah, I guess so, man. I mean, and Heenan's like, where is he going to bring that board? I mean, dude, that I mean, night Jim Duggan wasn't exactly like burning up the card at this point, but he gets a huge ovation when he comes out. And again, four just Hall of Fame guys: Flair, Duggan, Roberts. Uh, you know, Piper, this is the night, I know 1992, but this is the 1980s. I'm going to come back to that point, uh, you know, after we get through the match. A um, couple trivia notes. So we mentioned the, the Von Erich stuff. This is the last time that Flair and Kerry Von Erich were in the ring together. They did have some singles matches in the fall of 91, I believe on a European tour. Uh, this is the last time that Flair and Jake Roberts shared the ring together in a match as well. Uh, same with Valentine, I believe. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. uh, a match wreck. I don't know if either of you guys have seen this before. Flair and Jake Roberts in Mid South, uh, mm. late '85. You guys, it is this great thing. The video quality is not good, but you just got to deal with it. Uh, the mat before the bell, Jake DDT's Flair, and just it's all like Flair's done. Flair sells it like he's fucking dead. But the ref won't let Jake pin him because the match hasn't officially started. The mm. crowd heat is just molten. You, you can find this pretty easily on YouTube. Just Jake Roberts versus Ric Flair Mid-South if anyone mm-hmm. wants to treat themselves to it. Oh, wrestling. <laughs> when wrestling was wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, we get uh, IRS next. Mike Rotunda. Yeah. They can't all be winners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ruins the flow for you a little bit, you know. But uh, again, like he has history with Flair too, though. 
you know, another guy you could you could call it back to. Uh, we get Jimmy Snuka at number 19, very late in his career. We won't talk about his history. No. <laughs> <laughs> but we still got some massive names to come. And mm-hmm. that starts at 20 with Taker, who, of course, the previous fall had won the WWF title for the first time. Okay. So I brought this up with Liam when we were discussing the stip. So the stipulation was Taker and Hogan got to draw 20 through 30. Shouldn't it have been 21 to 30, the last 10 spots? It was weird that it was 20 or later. I thought. Yeah. Just cleaner numbers yeah. for fans. WWF? Yeah, fans. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're, okay, I get it. But yeah, this Wrestling was the, fans uh, and math, huh? But, but Monsoon <laughs> does point it out. Oh, he didn't really get a good luck of the draw because this was literally the earliest number that The Undertaker could have drawn in the mm. match. Yeah. I love how so, he just walks over and just tosses stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that. So he tosses Snuka, you know, his WrestleMania 7 opponent from the year before. He's out. Um, and then we get Macho at 21, who we talked about. Just, just runs like a bat out of hell all the way down the ring. He's looking for Jake Roberts, who dips out of the ring right away. Uh, just Cool split awesome. screen. Yeah, to mm-hmm. do that, to show that how Roberts, he's hiding. Yeah, because obviously that was the, the big feud at the time. Yep. It was also about this time where Bobby is begging Flair to take a break, but Flair's in the fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's, you know, and that's, it goes back to that comparison I made with Benoit and Mysterio, right? Where those guys at various points in their rumble runs, they fade into obscurity in the match. Flair never does that. He just stays active the whole time. And look, I'm not, all right. I, I, I'm not going to say I could go out there and work 60 minutes in a rumble. I certainly can't. Okay. But like, if you're one of the greats, you should, I, I think you should be able to do this. Like, you know, I mean, it's, it's still a battle Royal, right? I mean, Flair mm-hmm. just knows how to work it and it's just, you know, an all time great battle Royal performance. So we get Savage, um, who then goes after Jake to the floor, jumps over the top Top he, after rope. he eliminates him, he knee drops him over the yep. ropes. Yeah, yep. and then this is kind of the one flub in the match. Yes, mm-hmm. which uh, you know they talk; they're kind of confused on commentary. Like, has he eliminated himself? But Taker comes out and throws Savage back into the ring eventually, and then they mention that uh, that Savage isn't eliminated because uh, he has to be basically has to be tossed by somebody else, and he can't eliminate himself like that. Which is a cover because he screwed up. He yes. was not supposed to do that, and and. Uh, you know, I will say John Alba, who criticized this match and pointed that out, was wrong. He said the commentators ignored it. They they don't ignore it. They do cover for it. It's a mistake by Savage. And what's interesting is, I don't know if you guys noted this or anything, Savage really doesn't do anything the rest of the match. Well, that's what I was going to say, because, like, obviously, I thought, I, you know, I'm thinking he's he's got to be in here for a reason. You know, I don't remember everything that happens in this rumble, so he's got to have a big spot at the end. He's in the final four, but it's like, wouldn't it have been better if him and Jake just fought all the way to the back? Just let it be an elimination? Yeah, yeah I was kind of thinking, and I don't know, maybe we can, yeah, I'll say it now. If Piper was just in, like, I don't think the match would have been worse off if Piper was a guy still in the final four. It might have actually been better. Yeah, I think yeah. so. If it was a yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, but they, they had it laid out a certain way. Yeah, they covered for it. It, it doesn't make sense, but I don't know. They made a thing, and I, I don't think it takes away from the match at all. No. 
Uh, we get the Berserker. Huss, what, Huss. What's his specialty? What's Throws his specialty? Him Throws them out over the ropes. He would always win by th- count out. You throw the guys over the mm. top, bro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Virgil at 23. Not going to mention that joke. <laughs> Bob. <laughs> Uh, gets, some, uh, some, somewhere in here, there's a great moment with Undertaker choking Flair and Piper at the same time. Just yep. to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it, it goes back to working a battle royal. It's not about just doing normal offense. You've got to do like subtle stuff like that. And these guys knew how to work battle royals. Mm-hmm. That is uh, one of my favorite parts of uh, the pod you and Liam did. Mm-hmm. Something modern day uh, Royal Rumbles where... Everybody just kind of stays by the ropes so everybody can do their singles match maneuvers, you know, one after another. Whereas mm-hmm. in, you know, previous rumbles, it used to be, it looked like these guys were truly just trying to get everybody else out of this damn ring. It was just, just punches and kicks and clubbing each other. Yeah. Just, yep. Yeah. Um, okay, so oh, there's also a spot where Flair's on the outside, Savage suplexes him back into the ring. Which, uh, Savage, <laughs> not great in Royal Rumbles, maybe. Man. I mean, I, mean, I love pin- Randy Savage, but tried pinning Yokozuna the next year. <laughs> yep, we get uh, Colonel Mustafa at number 24. You know him as the Iron Sheik, a former uh, WWF champion. Yep, and uh, you he- know, doing. His walk is the bushwhacker. Yeah. The, the, he was one of several people in this match who this was kind of it. You know, again, I'm going to I'm going to come back to this point after the match that and I wrote it on Facebook in my 92 post. This match was very much the unofficial end of the 1980s of wrestling, I think. I know it's ni- it's technically 1992 the Gregorian calendar says the 80s ended December 31st 89, but for a lot of guys, I feel this is their swan song and like maybe like their last major match. I mean, Snuka, I don't think Snuka did anything after this. He's another one, you know, Valentine. There's just a lot of guys. This was kind of like their last moment mm-hmm. in the sun. Yeah. We get uh, Rick Martell coming out at number 25, who is the record holder for longest time in a rumble going into this match. And again, it's like, a, you know, we talked about what they with the Bulldog. At number one, how they did the thing. Hey, this guy's won a big battle royal before. And it's just the little things like that that get over these mid-carders as a little bit more important and someone to pay attention to. Yeah, and they're like, well, he's not going to have to go nearly that long to win this year because he gets the good draw. And Martell had just come back to the promotion, too. He he missed most of 91. He would worked in Japan a lot. I think it's some personal stuff going on, too. Hogan at 26. And uh, Hogan, time to clear the ring. Hogan clotheslines the Undertaker, takes him out of the ring. Uh, Berserker gets backdrop out of the ring. Uh, we get Hogan choking Rick Martel with his T-shirt. Anything about Hulk Hogan's uh, first few minutes into the uh, match? You guys want okay. to talk about? Obviously, it's going to be a big talking point. The reaction to him yeah. when he gets eliminated. But here, look. That there were signs that his popularity was waning. You wouldn't have known that necessarily when he came out. I mean, it wasn't the greatest reaction he'd ever gotten by any stretch of the imagination, but he's very clearly an over babyface when he comes out. 
He's Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. This is the WWF. This is his turf. I I did have a a note here about this time that uh, Flair Piper and Duggan, uh, some good sweat going on in the hair. <laughs> some. <laughs> I did notice Piper sweat quite a bit. Yes, <laughs> doing double duty, man. Got to have that thing flowing. And it's also at this point that Monsoon again credibility as an announcer. Mm-hmm. He's the baby face announcer, and he kind of is like, Brain, I gotta sort of hand it to you. Ric Flair's really impressing me. Because, I mean, this was very much unprecedented that Flair was still in the match. I mean, that's kind of becoming the, the big story here at this point. It's like, my God, Ric Flair's still out there. Yeah. And we're getting out of the nitty gritty. That, I mean, it just, it was unprecedented. Yeah. He, he's we almost brought. He's almost broken Martel's record at this point from the previous year. But Martel, yeah. the previous year, never felt like he was going to win. It was no, just yeah. like, oh, he's still fucking out there. You know, Flair <laughs> is like, it's like, oh, shit. And then at 27, the game has changed because out comes Skinner, Kyle. And Gorilla points out, even a long shot can win this thing. <laughs> It's between it's between the entrance of Skinner at 27 and Sergeant Slaughter at 28 that uh, Flair officially passes Martel's record, comes the new record holder with time spent in the Rumble. Some um, classic Undertaker when he gets eliminated by Hogan, just landing on his feet and no selling it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Slaughter, I mean, very awkward here. Previous summer doing the Iraqi thing, and uh, here now he's babyface again. Crowd doesn't really know what to do with Sergeant Slaughter at this point. We will talk about this a lot, Liam and I. And the thing this was, I it was never going to work. I think turning him back, babyface, after doing a gimmick like that. Mm-hmm. But by God, like only waiting six weeks to do it was really dumb. <laughs> yeah. Oh, looking forward to that. that he winds up taking a very way. good bump. Oh, well, it's elimination. Like, the, the best slaughter bump, I would say. So mm-hmm. it was about this time that I, I never really noticed it until I, you know, I read that article that Kyle shared with us. And so I was keeping an eye out for it. It is the moment where Piper is stalking Hogan and we're about mm-hmm. to get that mm-hmm. big Hogan Piper clash and then fucking IRS interferes <laughs> and takes Piper out of it. That okay, that Mike. would have been awesome. Damn I, it, know, Mike. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> funny. I had noticed that before I had read the article, obviously, but like I didn't like reading it made me realize it's like, God, that was the one thing that maybe could have made this actually if we would have got Hogan and Piper trading blows yeah. in this thing. I mean, that like, you know, just to call back to it. It's like I said, imagine if Piper was in the final four. And we probably would have got it. But yeah, Rotunda, what are you doing? So bad. Yeah. IRS? <laughs> uh, number 29, Mr. Softball himself, Sid Justice, coming out. No heat stroke on this night. Uh, Bobby forgot about him. Yeah. And it should be no, this was Sid's first match back from his bicep tear in the fall of 91. He had been out of action. Miss Survivor Series with mm. it. Um, That's an interesting term for heat stroke. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it's the winter, so I don't think they were playing softball even in mm, Arkansas in that's November true. December. That's but, true. Uh, yeah, Sid had been out with an injury, and this was his first match back. We're so, in the baby be, blue tights. He's a baby face at this yeah, point. And, and he kind of, you know, even though Hogan had just come in, Sid really asserts himself as a dominant presence in this match, like right off the rip. I think. Yeah. Say what I mean, look, I mean he's fucked us over on a podcast, but I mean, let's give the guy credit. He's you know, I mean he he, he you know he had his moments here. And yeah. by thought. this point, I mean Gorilla has, has announced Flair is the all time Iron Man, right? Mm-hmm. We get the classic Bobby. That's good enough for me. Just give him the title. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't win the title for that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, out at number 30, the Warlord. <laughs> and I love how Heaton's like, you never know who it's going to be. And then, and uh, Monsu's like, it can only be one guy. And he's like, I told you it would be the Warlord. <laughs> uh, oh. Shout out the uh, Sid. Eliminating Slaughter with yes. that uh, wicked turnbuckle, Irish the, whip. I mean, that was Slaughter's patented bump, right? I kind of mentioned that. Mm-hmm. I said it was the best Slaughter bump. I, I think that was the best he ever took it. My God. And Gorilla has a great response. My God, Sid Justice propelled him outside the ring. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get uh, Sid and Hogan teaming up to get rid of the Warlord. Yeah, kind of a, you know, it, it was kind of funny. They were like, oh, the Warlord, luck of the draw. He's got to be a big favorite. Then he doesn't exactly have a very good run. Um, let's see. Piper eliminates IRS. By with right. the tie, which gets a yep. big reaction. We should also mention Piper and Virgil earlier in the match. The old uh teacher and student had a little mm-hmm. uh, mm. you know, had a moment there where they started going in, and that gets over the every man for himself, you know, two baby faces. Just like Virgil eliminating Duggan, which yep. Justin got me on. Um, Sid eliminates both Piper and Rick Martel. Sneaks so now up we're down to the final them. four. Yep. So we got Hogan, Flair, Savage, and Sid as our final four in the greatest rumble of all time. Two former WWF champions, two guys who have never held it, never held the WWF title. And uh, Savage gets knocked out uh, with a, let's see, what, what happens? Flair hits the running knee to Sid. And then the momentum just sort of sends Savage over, yeah. Yes, that's right. And so then we get down to the famously the final three, Hogan, Sid, and Ric Flair. So, Kyle, you want to take us through the finish of this match? Okay, so Flair and Hogan are doing their thing. Gets a lot of heat. And Sid just sort of stands by idly watching. Hogan clearly is on the offensive on Flair, and then Sid just comes from behind and just dumps Hogan. And the crowd fucking cheers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> look at, look at, watch the, everybody at home, watch the elimination, but watch the crowd behind the elimination. Yes. They all pop out of their seats in absolute euphoria. Yeah. And look, Hogan. There was some booing at Survivor Series 91. Or, or or I should take that back. Some people did cheer the finish when he lost to The Undertaker in that night. And there I believe there was a couple anti-Hogan signs in the building. So that, again, it go there had Hulkamania, there were some signs that it wasn't what it used to be at that point. I mean, it's been but, 8 years. Yeah, but here's the thing. This is the first grave miscalculation. 
Hogan, and I thought you eloquently stated this, Ryan, when you had John Elba on. Hogan always kind of acted like a sword loser. Yeah. And it always was, and like people who didn't live through that era may not understand. He always got away with it because he was Hogan. And it's mm-hmm. not a bad, he was Hulk Hogan. He was like, you know, I, I heard what John said, and it was spoken like if Hulk Hogan was Roman Reigns. Yes, then it's a problem. The problem is Hulk Hogan was very fucking over for the previous seven years. And this was just like, oops, I guess it's not going to work this time. <laughs> and it didn't. <laughs> and then the crowd kind of was like that they, you know, Hogan starts acting like a crybaby. He starts looking to the crowd for sympathy. Hey, did you see what he did? That's bullshit. He threw me out. But it was very legal Yeah, that Sid <laughs> threw him legal. out. Yeah. It was, there was nothing dirty about it. And so he holds on. Everyone's seen it. He grabs onto Sid's arm. Heenan's like having a panic attack. Flair comes from behind, dumps Sid kind of with Hogan, and Ric Flair wins. And yeah, Hogan looks like a big crybaby. <laughs> and Hogan tries to steal Flair's limelight, obviously. It's, you know, Hogan chases Flair off after Flair wins. Is And it's Hogan and Sid in the ring. And I will always remember this. I, I can just picture it in my head as I'm talking right now. One of the great moments in WWF history, in, in my fandom, is Hogan and Sid standing there, and they're just jaw-jacking. And Sid drops to his knees and calls for the accolades, yes. and the crowd fucking gives it to him. <laughs> and Hogan looks like he wants to cry. <laughs> like he, like look, look at this, folks, if you haven't watched this in a while, or think about it if you have. Hogan just looks, he's like, oh my God, like they're not with me. This isn't supposed to be happening. And I get it what they did redo the commentary track later on the Coliseum video. But this doesn't take, to me, like, again, if this was Roman Reigns, it would be a problem. But was Hogan cheered at WrestleMania 8? Yes, he was. Was Hogan cheered on his way out? Yes, he was. It's just to me... This match, the underlying story is, well, it's that Ric Flair's the greatest fucking wrestler of all time, but it's that Ric Flair's also better than Hulk Hogan on this night, and the people fucking knew it. Mm-hmm. And it's okay that it happened in that moment. Like, I don't think it's like, oh my God, what a disaster. I can't believe it. They you know, they weren't reacting that way to the baby face. I don't think it's it's a bad thing at all. It was just that, the crowd just, like, you'd have to be an idiot not to realize it. I mean, I talked about my Stone roommates in junior of college watching this. They're like, I get, you know, my one guy's like, I get this Ric Flair now. Like, that was fucking incredible what he did. Justin Joint, all, he, he had his choice of every Ric Flair match in the world when we did the Ric Flair draft. What did he pick? He picked this. This match cements... And there are people who followed him in Crockett that aren't going to want to hear this, but it's true. This is the match, not the steamboat matches, that cements Ric Flair as the greatest professional wrestler that ever lived. Because he did it in front of the WWF audience. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, I-, I talked about this being kind of the last stand of 1980s wrestling. This was Ric Flair, the irony, the standard bearer of the other promotion outshining all of Vince's creations for an hour to the point that 
everybody fucking gets it. You watch it at the end of this match. Hogan tries to steal the limelight. Yeah, it's rejected. Normally, that would be an issue, but it's not an issue. The issue is that Ric Flair just fucking outshined everybody, and they fucking realize it, and Hogan kind of acts like a crybaby, and they're like, fuck you. But it's it's, it's not a lingering issue at all. Like, it, he wasn't booed at WrestleMania 8. It's not like this was a sign of a bigger problem. It was just in the moment, everyone got what Ric Flair did, and they, you know, Hogan acted like a baby, and, and Ric Flair was the best ever. That's what it was. It was Ric Flair doing his NWA shtick in front of a WWF audience, and fucking getting over the way no other heel in WWF history had ever gotten over. There had been only two heel title wins since national expansion prior to this. Andre, which was like total cheating, right, with the the Twin Hefner deal. Mm-hmm. And Slaughter, which was total cheating with the Randy Savage interference. This was not cheating. This was a heel simply being better. And it had, it was unprecedented for this promotion. And and that's kind of why I it's not kind of it's why I think it's the best you know one of the best matches in WWF history. Yeah, it it can't be replicated today. I mean, the best you could do it. I mean, it's like if Okada popped up in 2022 and and ran through the entire roster to win the Royal Rumble, but even yeah. then, it's still not comparable. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Omega. I thought of like Omega too. I mm-hmm. thought, but yeah, you're right. It's not because o- Omega just isn't where Flair is. People like they're like, all right, this Flair guy's a big deal, but why? And he had not been portrayed. And like, it's just everyone gets it. Like, I, I again, you know, uh, two Stone Juniors in, at Ohio University. Okay, my roommate. <laughs> like one guy liked wrestling, the other guy didn't, and they're like, wow, that was like really awesome. Like. And it was in that moment, I was like, what a fucking match this is. This is like the punctuation mark on the 1980s and Ric Flair's career. And the fact that Hogan gets shit on for a little bit in the periphery just actually makes it better. Right? Like, we're in an era now where baby faces, because the baby faces are booked so poorly all the time that it's such a negative. I just don't think it was a like a huge like draw back on the match here. It was just a case of Ric Flair was better and, you know, Hogan acted like a crybaby. You know, like Hogan thought it would work, but it was a miscalculation. And um, it sucks. You're not, you know, the people on this night saw that Ric Flair was better than you. Do you think hindsight 2020, they should have flipped around Hogan and Sid in that situation and had, uh, you know, Hogan dumps Sid, Sid gets pissed, and then Sid pulls Hogan out since they wanted Sid to be the heel anyways. They could have, but I, again, it didn't matter. By WrestleMania 8, I mean, the, it's not like the dynamic was bad. It's not like in that match yeah. that people were cheering for Sid against Hogan. Yeah. I mean, you know, they did a pretty good job, actually, in the weeks that followed getting Sid as the heel. You know, Sid getting upset about the most bogus act Jack to ever pulled. So, I mean, we don't we don't get flares like we see Flair going up the aisle. We don't get a shot of him with the world title. We get that in the back with the great promo Heenan, that we're Heenan's about to going talk about. crazy. He, Heenan's just yeah. saying yes, 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 yes the whole time. Yep. Yeah. So we do get that face off with with Hogan and Sid in the ring that you meant that you mentioned. Um, 
Yeah, I don't really think that, that takes away from it at all. Like I said on the show with John, I mean Hogan and Sid, WrestleMania. It was going to be the bit, you know, the main event of WrestleMania. It's not a world title match, but it's it's Hogan. So I don't really have a problem with how they ended ended the show in front of the crowd with that. But then when we cut to the back and we get that Ric Flair promo with Heenan, with Kurt Heading, Mr. Perfect back there, and it's like one of the most iconic promos in the history of professional wrestling. That in the end, it doesn't matter that he didn't get that moment out there with the mm-hmm. camera no. on him in the ring it's with better. the belt. Because we get in the back, it's better. Yeah, Justin, you're right. So, Kyle, I mean, the but, I tear mean, in my it, eye promo, your thoughts. First of all, Gene Okerlund yelling at the at somebody to put the cigarette out. It's <laughs> one of the most incredible things to ever. Put that cigarette out. I mean, was somebody really smoking? What was going on? Yeah. It, it, was it Bruce Pritchard, a notorious smoker? I don't know. But yeah, Flair's back there. And you could tell this means a lot to him. Justin mentioned earlier when he came out that maybe Flair had a look on his face that he kind of feels the gravity of what he's about to do. And for the record, Flair said in his book that he did not know until the day of he was Mm -hmm. quitting. Mm -hmm. And he just, yeah, the promo is just unbelievable to hear the longtime flag bearer of the NWA and to see him holding the WF title and saying, you walk around saying you're number one. Well, to be number one, this is the only belt that matters. And it's like, whoa. And mm-hmm. then, you know, heated and perfect had that great line. We hate to be the kind of guys that say we told you so, but we told you so. And then Flair just closes it with to the Hogans, to the Sids, to the Pipers, to the Savages. Now it's Ric Flair and y'all pay homage to the man. And you're just saying, and you're like, my God, he he's done it. This is the greatest professional wrestler of all time. I mean, Circling back to what John Alba said on the show when you had him on, I I guess if you don't love Ric Flair and you don't love 80s wrestling, maybe I can understand why this wouldn't mean as much to you. But if, you know, I think if you're our age, you know, I, I think it's pretty, you know, I mean, this is a really big deal. And I had teased this a little bit before we started the role, but you're like, do you want to answer John? And, I was like, you know, I think there's something specific to his kind of criticism, the kind of person who criticizes it. If you're younger, and John's significantly younger than like me, right? I think he's like about 10 years younger than me. I know you guys. Oh, 10 years. I'm almost 40. I'm a little, a couple of years younger than you so guys. He's more like, than he's, 10 years younger than me. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. here's the thing. The modern WWE, and by modern, I mean 2000s. So I actually mean like the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. So little of what happens has any meaning in big picture because the booking's shite, right? It's just like, oh, well, that was a great match. But like six weeks later, they fucked it all up with some stupid dunderhead booking move, right? This, this the, the what I was talking about earlier, that Ric Flair, the NWA champ, proving that he is the best in a WWF environment is why this is one of the greatest matches of all time. It's not the minutia that takes away. It's it's that. It's this big picture thing that you walk yeah. away from. And it's that's why. Like, all the great matches, for me, this is the way I evaluate, have a larger meaning in the history of wrestling. Bret Hart and Steve Austin, 
was voted match of the year in 97 by most people. Okay. And that's a remarkable achievement given a lot of the matches that took place that year. But it is clearly in, then enhanced later on by the fact that it is the launching pad for Steve Austin to become the biggest draw in the history of that company. And so there's just a larger story at play. And when you talk about younger fans, I just think that they're so conditioned to not really understand some of these larger pictures at play in these older matches because there are no larger pictures at play with modern WWE. I I think that might've been it. I don't want to put words in the guy's mouth, but maybe that was it to me. It's not just about, you know, hyper analyzing. Oh, Randy Savage fucked up what the script, what he was supposed to do. Well, I mean, yeah. Okay. He did, but you know, or Hulk Hogan gets booed a little bit. Okay. Yeah, he did. But that is also secondary, tertiary, whatever to, Rick Flair coming in and just proving everybody to the shadow beyond a shadow that he's the best ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, like, like I was referring to earlier with all the pictures I saw of Ric Flair in all the books, it, it legitimized all of wrestling to me, not as being real, but being important. Yeah. And what do you guys think about my point? Like, this is the end of the night. Like if you were to try to get, somebody to understand 1980s wrestling like your your wives for instance like if your wife was like honey i don't what was the big deal about 1980s wrestling you would probably show them either this or wrestlemania 3 correct Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. like that's like the best way to encapsulate and give them the vibe of what 1980s wrestling was at its peak and this show didn't do great business but it's it's you see the big stars come out and it's an easy to consume match in that tape machines review he talked this is the only 60 minute match that you would ever show a non-fan yet these there are people i see in these facebook groups oh first match i'd show a non-fan is omega versus okada motherfucker you're gonna be sitting by yourself in 30 minutes (laughs) and and that's and that's no disrespect to that match which is an all-time match but yeah. a someone who does not watch wrestling will not comprehend that match. This the beauty of this match is that it is so fucking easy to consume. Mm-hmm. To explain like the greatness of that era to somebody who has never seen it, if I was going to show them a few things, I'd show them Mania three. You know, or I talk about the WWF, you know, this mainstream juggernaut, the celebrities. You show Mania 3, you know, you get Aretha Franklin out there. You get Alice Cooper out there, you know, Mr. Baseball, all of that. Um, Hulk and Andre, you know, the Princess Bride connection, you know, he's going to be going to do that. And then, you know, I'd show him on the other side, you got the NWA, Crockett, eventually WCW, you know, show him. Flair and Funk, or show him Flair and Steamboat, or something like that. I mean, hell, you could go back even further. Show him Flair and Harley yeah. Race. I don't care, but just show him like this was you know the the hardcore Matt fans like this. Here's the promotion that was all Hollywood, you know, and pomp and pomp and everything. And then in the end, you say, and then here's the '92 Rumble where the two sides convene, and here's Hogan, and here's Flair. And here's all these great stars from that era all in one match to really kind of put a bow on it. But, and I think it might be why, I'm not going to speak for him, but I'll let him speak right now. Justin, why he took the match number one, 
I actually sh- remember one of my roommates, like, I was watching Flair Steamboat once. And this is, again, a novice fan. And they weren't that into it as they were into this. Because you have to remember, like, the person who doesn't follow wrestling, they just want to be, like, kind of entertained. They don't really, like, want to sit there and take it, like, as a serious thing. Like, Flair and Seabot made out to me. And and Flair and Seabot's, like, the all-time great stuff from that era. You're right. But I would absolutely show a non-fan like someone like my wife if someone's like oh t- i don't you know this rick flair you always talk about him. what's so great about this rick flair i would absolutely show her this in front of any of the flair steamboat matches mm-hmm. yep it's important and it's most importantly entertaining like he said bobby heenan bobby heenan yeah, makes yeah. it entertaining too for people that are watching for the first time Although yeah. if my wife was watching, I would absolutely turn the volume down on certain. <laughs> I, I, I do think it's hard. I mean, I don't. <laughs> we are talking like we are talking like generational differences here and everything. And I know some of our patrons are a little bit younger too, but like it is kind of hard, especially if you grew up watching two thousands wrestling, like you said, Kyle, for people to grasp like what a different world it was back then. You know, with this guy from the other promotion coming over and getting this kind of spotlight and why that's such a big deal. You know, like, I was just gonna say, like, I've seen some of the discourse on Twitter. People are talking about 92 Rumble right now more than ever before. I saw someone joking about, oh, can we stop talking about the 92 Rumble? Well, it's because it's the 30th anniversary. Everyone's talking about it. Um, But like the people I see saying, oh, you know, it's it's an overrated match. Like, John threw that out on Twitter, and then I even saw Sean Ross Sapp respond, and he was like, oh, that's a very common criticism. And I was like, I don't think that's common. Maybe you're wrong with newer fans, but, like, most of the people that were watching around that time or around our age, like, universally rave about this match. So I do think it's kind of a, it's a generational thing. I That was the first time I had heard that this is a common criticism, and it, it does seem to come from people that are a little bit younger. And no matter how much you like read the history of that era or maybe go back on the network and watch the shows and stuff, it's really hard to put yourself in the time period because wrestling has not become a joke, but like we don't have, as much as we love AEW, we still don't have that dynamic of these two national promotions that we had back then where there was this just hatred of the other side. I mean, it was a war even before the Monday night wars. And for, I mean, look, Dusty Rhodes came over. He's wearing polka dots, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, so, and Dusty Rhodes was as big as they come in the NWA. So for Dusty Rhodes to be wearing polka dots and then for Ric Flair, just a couple of years after that to win the freaking Royal Rumble, nearly bell to bell to become world champion was just such a seismic moment in the time that it's it's hard to appreciate it's, it if you weren't like in the in that period watching wrestling or shortly thereafter it's it's almost our you know punk beating cena you know the 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 workers fan heel beating the big champion to be crowned the guy uh when it wasn't really expected you know in punk's case because we thought he was leaving and in flair's case because he wasn't a vince mcmahon guy No, yeah. I just gotta go back and and like again, it cannot be understated how unprecedented it was to have a heel win based on skill. I know Mm -hmm. that, like, yeah, okay, Hogan kind of helps. That just did not happen in this era. 
of WWF. Mm -hmm. It's also a match that really bridges the generations too. Because I remember watching it, like I mentioned at the top of the show, I saw it a couple of years after it happened. Now, I was aware of the result and stuff in the time or shortly thereafter. But then even seeing the match a couple of years later and then how I mentioned I would rent this one over and over again in the mid to late 90s. Another thing that I loved about it was you talk about the 80s part of it. But then also, like when I would watch this match in the later 90s and I'm like, holy shit, there's Shawn Michaels in there with Ric Flair. And, yeah. you know. Oh, there's Taker, who's, you know, an even bigger deal by that point. There's Taker in there with Hogan and Ric Flair and these guys who are now in WCW by that time period. So it kind of bridged the Attitude Era, you know, with the mm -hmm. 80s, too. There's, I mean, there's so much going on here that made it even in the years after such a cool match to revisit, too. So yeah, I, I just, I, you know, we've been debating these rumbles on our Facebook group for so long and, and, you know, people may not agree with this. And it's heartwarming to see. First of all, I want to mention this before I go back to that Facebook group thing. You talk about people talking about this on Twitter. There are so many people, and it, it makes me smile. You know, like a lot of people I follow are like, you know, just threw the 92 Rumble on. They did it in the last week when it, like, is anniversary. They're like, you always pick something new up when you watch it. You know, kind of, you know, whether it's, you know, I mean, I've, if you've watched it a few times, you know about the carry stuff. But there's always just some little nuance every time that gets you but with the Facebook group just to illustrate how head and shoulders above the other rumbles I have this like I would this is a five-star match okay mm -hmm. and then there there are 10 five-star matches I don't think in WWF history WF slash E history the gap between it and number two is probably like as large as the gap between like number two and number 13 when you think about it, like for the rumble matches. Yeah. Like if yeah. I were to rate the rumbles, like it is just like, you know, they're, you know, to get to bring it back to like what John was saying, when you had him on, I, I, I really try to always say, okay, I get that. It, you, you might, it, I might not agree with you, but I get that. That's your viewpoint. It is very hard for me to think that someone actually believes that there's a better rumble than this. I just think the gap is just seismic between it and number two. Like I, 2020 has a good case at number two, or, you know, I think the most underrated is 2005. Those are like four star matches. That's a full star difference, you know, and there's a shit ton of rumbles between three and four stars. I think it's just, it, it's just not close. And it's because Flair's individual performance, what it means, the overall star power, the fact it's for the title, and, you know, I think that it's the punctuation mark on the 1980s. No other Rumble has that even close to that kind of meaning. Yeah. It's the first time the Rumble had any real stakes, really. You know, the yes. next year they start the WrestleMania tie-in. Here it's for the title. I, I think it's by far the most rewatchable Rumble. You know, like even the other ones that are really good, you know, like 01, for example, are not ones that I revisit, like I want to just throw on. This is one that, like, I mentioned in the interview, we keep talking about it because we talked about the Rumble, but the interview with John, the last question I asked him was, what's your wrestling comfort food? Like, this for me is one of those where it's like, if I don't have anything okay. to put on oh, and I just want to put on oh. pro wrestling, like, this is this is one I'll put on, but there's, like, no other Rumbles that I would that I would put on, even the really good ones. Like, I just don't, they were great, but I don't really want to rewatch them. You know what I mean? Like, this is one I do want to rewatch. I just watched it the last couple of days numerous times. So I, and I've I seen it before not... many times. <laughs> Like I said, people are probably like, "My gut, you're lying. There's no way you didn't re 
watched this before the way, but I, I didn't. I might watch it tonight before I go to sleep again. <laughs> even though I didn't watch the first part. So Justin, I saw him laughing because I'm frantically calling time out when you're talking about John Alva's comfort food because he knows where I'm going with this. I so you know he, he was he was he, you know he threw the little uh, barb out at me about it being unfortunate that I would think this is one of the ten best matches. I was in absolute fucking tears. <laughs> Okay, when he criticizes the Hogan Sid stuff, and then he says his comfort food match is Hogan Rock, which is checks notes a match where the design babyface clearly gets booed, and the announcers <laughs> try pretending it's not happening. Yeah, I mean, I was like, so I like I'm watching. I was like, oh, this fucking guy. All right, I'm just gonna. I know what I'm gonna say. <laughs> and then he says that, and I just like almost collapse. I said, this is oh. the big one, Cammy. They're gonna have to freaking cart me up. So, oh, I, again, God. I knew you were going to be so pissed, man. Oh, uh, the, man. Like, that might be a generational thing, too. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, whatever. And I don't know. I mean, I, to, to some people, you know, again, it goes to that younger thing. That match, the Hogan-Rock match, if you're younger, it's like, I get to see Hogan. Like, you know, it was the ghosts of 86 all over again. Whereas me, who's not as keen on that match, spoiler alert. I'm like, if I want to watch fucking Great Hulk, I'll just watch him in his fucking prime. <laughs> you know, like it's not like mm-hmm. I watched him at his prime and he was very good. He was very over and he drew a lot of money. Yeah. Like I didn't like in 2002, I didn't want to see Hulk Hogan in the WWF. I, I've softened that stance quite a bit. So I was, you know, it was it was a good story to tell. But you know, I just thought that was like comical, like how he's like criticizing. <laughs> oh yeah, you know it's Big Brother just telling you what to think again, and then he's like, "Yeah, I, I just love Hulk Hogan versus The Rock." Where Jim Ross is like, <laughs> "This is a very mixed reaction we're getting here." You, well, it is a generational thing though, because you know that's because that generate didn't see Hogan in his heyday in the WWF like we did. Yeah. So like it was like the first time they had seen it, so it probably meant more for them. For us, you yeah. know, who saw it as kids, it was like, yeah, you know, we saw it. <laughs> you know, he's back. It's kind of cool for a little bit, but you know, yeah, whatever. I'm rooting for the rocker. Yeah, so. yeah, that was the, that was the that was the big, you know, because everyone's like, oh, Hogan, this is awesome. But yeah, I was like, well, I like the Rock better. <laughs> yeah, right. He's very. This is 2002. He's much cooler. But yeah, it is the most rewatchable Rumble, right? Yes. I mean, like by far. 90, oh. 90 is really cool because of the star power in that match. And you guys, if you haven't heard the Patreon show we did a couple of years ago, it's a watch-along style. So you, you cue the match up with us, and you, you can literally watch the match with us and react in real time to it. That's a fun one. Hogan Warrior segment is great in that match. But, I mean, from start to finish, it's the most rewatchable. There's so much happening here. I, I mean, I've seen this match probably like 35 times. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't think there's a single match I've watched more. Maybe Savage Steamboat would be the other one. Both I would say those are the two matches I've watched the most in my life, probably. What about you for for you, Justin? Austin Brett. Yeah, this would be right up there, and uh, Liger Pillman from Super mm-hmm. Brawl Two. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I I just want to throw this out to not just our listeners, but you guys. How great is it when we are given a topic that we love? <laughs> oh yeah. Our top rope nation classic. <laughs> uh, you know, February is kind of a real potpourri in wrestling history, so I, I'm interested in what we'll get for that. 
mm-hmm. particular one. But we did not even get any nominations for January. Everyone knew we just wanted to do the '92 yeah, Rumble, well, yeah. so they're like, "All right, uh, yeah. just do it." But I, I think you know, when we get closer to WrestleMania, I think you know, I, I think there's some things. You know, you talk. Justin mentioned Brett Austin. I'm like, God, how great would it be to break that down? And stuff, or how great would it be to break down like WrestleMania three for me, a, a show that I cannot even begin to speak of objectively. Mm-hmm. I'm not even doing a, a wrestling podcast if it's not for WrestleMania three. Who knows if I even you know follow this goddamn industry <laughs> if it's not for that. Thirty five year anniversary this year. Yeah. So. Ooh. Yeah. So I mean, I, I just, I for me, twenty five for Brett and Austin. Yeah. So for me, I, I'm just I'm so happy we got to talk about this. I'm so happy I got to talk about this with you guys because I just adore this. It is absolutely one of my favorite professional wrestling matches of all time. I, I talk about a top ten. I mean, my God, in WWF history, it might be top five. Hart Austin's better. I like the Michaels Taker Hell in a Cell better. Yeah. I don't know what else I like better. Offhand, it, it, it's got like it, it would. I, I did a rank when I did the rankings for the 1990s WWF. It, it came in at number three behind those two, and like my number one 80s match would be Savage Steamboat. Okay, it, you know maybe those two are battling. My favorite 2000s WWF match is Cena and Punk. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely like this better than. HBK and Taker at Mania 25. If people me are too because back. you know I love I love that I do like that match a lot. Loved it in the moment, but there's a caveat to that match in that I think it led into the too many kickouts of finishers. You know, it was still kind of unique when they did that in that match, but now it's just like every match multiple yeah. finish, and it's just like I mean it's kind of the Japan effect too. Yeah, it was, I remember. Uh, friend of the show, Patreon, Chad Repack. It's just not a show unless if I reference him. <laughs> and he said when we watched that match, he's like, he's like, this was really good. But I think a lot of people could do this match about HBK and Taker mm-hmm. at WrestleMania 25. And he's probably right. I, I do think it's that it's them doing it does make it better. But yeah, for me, I, I don't know. I've I always liked their Hell in the Cell match better than that match. Yeah, Brett and Owen at Mania Ten. Yeah, that was on the, the that's a five star match. That was my number four match of the nineties. Plus, with the the show story with Owen coming out at the end and everything mm-hmm. too, it adds to the whole thing there too. So, yeah, it's up there, man. It's definitely top ten. I you know I threw that out on the on that show and I said Kyle is his top in his top ten matches you know in in company history and I think that's right on. I agree with you. And top five, you could definitely make an argument. So, I mean, dude, I told you guys, I can't remember if I even said this on air because we've been doing this for over two hours now. <laughs> Rightfully so, <laughs> we're doing it justice. But, like, I told you tonight I was re-watching it yet again with my two oldest girls. they never seen the match. They don't watch wrestling that much. When they do, it's usually AEW. Um, but, like, my oldest daughter, she was, like, into it man she was counting down the entrance and asking about all of them and stuff i mean just multiple generations removed from this match and she was in as into this as any match i've ever seen her sit through so there you go yeah it's up there that's top 10 i think you're right i hope we did it justice i think we did i think we did yeah yeah with a tear in my eye this is the greatest podcast of my life oh there we go (laughs) 
I can't follow it up. I don't have anything ready to say. <laughs> Damn it. Hey, I'll, I'll close it with this. Now it's Top Rope Nation, and y'all pay homage to the man. Yeah. Oh, Will yeah. you stop? <laughs> oh, so I think we were fair to Flair tonight, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed this. Appreciate your support. Catch you again real soon. Take care. All right. By virtue of winning the Royal Rumble, we have a brand new World Wrestling Federation champion as the press watches on. At this time to present the title belt to the new champion, our president, the distinguished Jack Tunney. Congratulations, Ric Flair, on becoming the undisputed champion of the World Wrestling Federation. Let me just say, after very distorting the belt, they're proclaiming the real world champion. I'm going to tell you all, with a tear in my eye, this is the greatest moment in my life. When you walk around this world and you tell everybody you're number one, the only way you get to stay number one is to be number one. And this is the only title in the wrestling world that makes you number one when you are the king of the WWF. You rule the world. Think about it like that, Mr. Perfect. Guys, we're the brain. Up Woo! 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 Let's give a big one! Woo! Woo! You I was never so impressed with anything I've ever seen in all my life. He went out there for over 60 minutes, never took a back step, took it to Hogan, took it to The Undertaker, took it to whoever got in that ring. That's why he is hey, Bobby, called now we're, the real world heavyweight champion. We're not the kind of guys to say, we told you so, but we told you so. <laughs> okay, very good. Rick Flair, you have made world... Put that cigarette out. You have made World Wrestling Federation history here tonight. It's the greatest moment of my life. I want to jump. I want to party. But I got to tell you like this. For the Hulk Hogan's and the Macho Man's and the Pipers and the Sids. Now it's Ric Flair. And y'all pay homage to the man. Woo! <laughs> I love it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up. We hope you have enjoyed your Royal Rumble. For my broadcast colleagues, Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Sean Mooney, Mean Gene Okerlund, saying so long from the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York.